Because by the way, I don't need I don't need tea to give me diarrhea. You just have, naturally have it. Yes, I have stress and IBS, and it doesn't ever make my stomach flat. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's IBS. <laughs> So hot, so hot, so hot, so hot. Yeah, Um, New York is a different kind of hot. Beyond. It's a very wet hot. Well, you know me. (laughs) Almost always wet, guys. In one way or another, (laughs) she's almost always wet. Oh, Casey. Um, Yeah, we got back. I had a harrowing travel. Travel's always a fucking nightmare, but it was particularly like ridiculous I have to say what happened tell us the story okay Conan so here's what happened (laughs) just make sure you get your joke in um (laughs) like a that is like a bit for like one person listening (laughs) um maybe 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 not even that uh it was just like travel is stressful. I feel like uh, before we left LA, a friend of ours, their kid got COVID th- unvaccinated because she's too young. And yeah. it like sent me into a real fucking tailspin because as you know, my little Crix is unvaxxed currently because of her age. And so I was like definitely nervous about that. And then thyroid update, in case you didn't see my stories, I like seven needles shoved into the nodules in my thyroid. And then the doctor was like, oh, the cells look funky. So we have to send them to a specialist to take a look and make sure that they're benign, right? Um, Just being funky for fun. Well... Maybe my life motto. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But so yeah, so you're waiting. I'm being for that. difficult, but only for fun. <laughs> uh but uh yeah, so that happened the, you know, like a day or two before. It was like just some other like it was just like a very stressful week. And then we've been traveling for like two months basically because we had been in South Carolina and then had gone to Los Angeles for you know, the full month, basically a full month. Yeah. And, uh, and then also just acquired a ton of shit while we were there because LA and <laughs> it was Bernie and it was Bernie's birthday. And right. like there, it was just like, there was just so much <clears throat> to pack up in this home. And, and, uh, you know, like I was just very overwhelmed and stressed. And, um, and then we got to the airport and like through just like a totally random ass mistake, Raymond had booked my tickets for me because I was having like dealing with all this other stuff. And he accidentally booked Cricket's ticket under the name Busy Phillips instead of Cricket Silverstein. Did I tell you oh, that? No, no. Like, so we had three tickets. One was like Elizabeth Phillips. One was Bertie Silverstein. And then one was Busy Phillips. And oh, no. I guess technically it like 
doesn't even really matter because it's not like they eight-year-olds have driver's licenses or IDs. They don't even look at IDs of kids. They're just like, but I felt weird about it. So then I had to, so then we like had to have them fix it and it was weird and it took a long time and kids were freaking out. And then on the airplane, there was like a real musical chairs situation and you know how that is, right? Like, especially when it, cause it was just me and the two kids. And like when you're three, it's not an easy, right? Necessary, depending on your plane, it's not can tend to not be an easy way to f- configure seating, and, uh, and then there was a baby child, a very baby child, like directly in front of us that had like one of the nastiest coughs I've ever heard in my oh, life. No. So then I was like spinning out about that, you know, yeah. like bless that baby, but also. What's going on with your baby? Yeah, it just um, makes you like, who knows? That baby could just be having a smoker's cough. You don't know. That's what it sounded like. Not even a joke. That is exactly what it sounded like. So then, um, and we had, so we, I had to borrow suitcases from BB. So we had eight suitcases, eight suitcases. <laughs> so like an, an ridiculous amount of suitcases. And since I was like, basically on my own leaving Los Angeles, like I was, I didn't even consider, I didn't even think about the fact that like I had a, there was a driver in LA who like unloaded all my suitcases and right there and the guys took them, right? Yeah, you like called the car service or whatever. Right, I had a car service. And then on the New York side, I also had requested a car service, but Mark was like, I want to come because we were getting in Lee. He was like, I think it would be better. Or maybe it was my idea. It was one of our ideas um, to like have him come with the car and pick the kids up, yeah. you know? So then, and he was like, well, I can stay for the luggage and you can drive them home. And I was like, well, I'm going to be really tired because I'm getting in super late too. So maybe I don't want to drive Right. home from JFK at, mi- at midnight, you know? So like, no, you just take the kids and I'll get the luggage. Thinking that like per normal times, uh, a guy, the driver guy would be able to like help, help. me. like he, Get a cart. Right. Yeah. Sure. Um, but then I went, so I, so then, so then we get off the plane and Mark's like, okay, I'm at departures waiting. And I was like, wait, why are you at departures? It was very confusing. It was so hot. I was like pouring sweat. It was stressful. And I, the kids got in the car with Mark and then I went down to arrivals to get the luggage and I texted the driver and he's like, there's extra security at JFK today and no one is allowed. No driver's or like are allowed in to help with baggage. And I was like, what? I can't, what do you mean? Oh no, what? And so then I just had like a full melty um, meltdown in the baggage claim at JFK because I was really um, outrageously (laughs) under-resourced. Yeah. And, uh, And I got a cart. But that cart still left me with four bags that had to be, and I couldn't push two carts that were like overloaded with bags. Right. 
and they didn't have any of those big carts available, like the like um, ones that the people who work at the airport use, like just right. the industrial vibes. Right. And they didn't have, because it was midnight, I asked the like one lady that was working in Delta Baggage, well, let's be fair, I sobbed hysterically at her for, <laughs> and told her some intense things about life (laughs) and my hopes and dreams for the future, both hers and mine. And, um, and then I was like, are there any of those people that I can put valets that I can like pay to help me with the luggage? And she's like, no, everybody's gone. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? And she was like, I actually just don't know. And so then I was like, God, get your shit together. Like, this is the situation. So like, okay, well, I have one cart and I have the bags on this cart. And then there's these like four bags left over. I could like probably push a cart and maybe roll one bag. Yeah. But that's still three bags. Okay. So I bring three. So then I brought three bags over to her inside the little office. And I was like, so can I can you do me a favor? Can I leave these three bags here so I can go take these to the driver who's outside waiting for me and then I'll come back and get these three bags. It'll be like five minutes or whatever. And she's like, oh my God, I'm really not supposed to do that. And then I just like fully started hysterically crying. Yeah. And this guy was like in there with her, I guess looking for his luggage or something. This young dude, and he was like, "Hey, hey, is everything okay? Can is there anything I can do?" And I was like, "I don't know. Can you make me twenty seven again?" <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, funny. I'm twenty seven. I just turned twenty seven. I was like, "Well, that's fucking great for you." <laughs> and he was like, "Um." But seriously, like, what's the, what's the deal? And I was like, I'm just alone. I'm just by myself right now. I don't have anyone that can help me. And, uh, and they're not letting people in to, from the drivers. And I, I, oh my God. And it like hit me. I was like, I quite literally have too much baggage. <laughs> and I can't carry it all. And like, what am I going to do? I have too much baggage. I got to let some of this fucking baggage go. (laughs) And he was like, okay, or I could just, I can roll some out with you because we're waiting for my oversized bag still. And I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Thanks. (laughs) So (laughs) so then then, uh, his name was Tyler. He was very sweet. He was visiting some friends on Long Island. Uh, He was waiting for his oversized bag. I didn't ask what was in it. Um, I hope it fishing, was something exciting. Maybe fishing rods, guns. Who knows? How, who knows what goes in an oversized bag? I don't think guns. Surfboards. I think I, surfboards. That's you're what allowed I was, to check. You have to be allowed to check guns. I. You do, have to be. I. You have to be. People check guns. A hundred. They must. A hundred percent. You must be allowed to. A hundred percent. We can. If only there was a way we could find out. I'm going to believe it was a surfboard because I have helped many a person. In Long Island? There's water there. It's an island. Is there uh, surfing on Long Island? 
I mean, not on Long Island Sound. I think it's kind of fairly flat water there, but someone, I used to live on Long Island Sound. Someone correct me if I'm wrong, but it's pretty calm water. But um, I've helped people carry a lot of oversized shit. I've helped people book surfboards and bags of exotic snakes on airplanes in my entertainment career. Bags Um, of exotic snakes? Yeah. Yeah, we had like when I worked at Rosie, oh, like a, we had like a like an snake, animal a guy, snake, a snake girl, a little snake. Oh, sure, girl. sure. Sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to genderize anyone. I just no, meant, no. It's okay. You know. She was like, it was, it was really weird because it was kind of like um, I was helping a producer who uh, had like chronic nervous diarrhea a lot before segments that she was producing. Same girl, same. And um, it was just a weird uh, situation because at the last minute, the little six-year-old snake girl just froze up on, like, as she was called out by Rosie, like, for live TV. And oh my God, she I was, was like a child. Yeah, a child. she was a child. And um, and her huh. mom was kind of like, well, you know, you got to do this. You got to do this. And she was like, I don't want to. I don't want to. And I was just like, it's okay. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. I'll tell Rosie that you don't want to do it. And that's fine. I said, or I could hold your hand and walk out with you if you're scared. And she was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. And I said, okay. So here I am, like, just walking out on live TV with this little girl. But the funny thing is, she was no longer scared. But I was fucking terrified because she had a bag full of snakes. Wait, that's really cute, though, that you walked her out with her bag full of snakes. <laughs> I love that. But that's anyway, so maybe maybe that's what your friend Tyler had, a big bag full of oversized snakes. I don't know if that was what he was waiting on, but <laughs> he did He did help me get my luggage outside. Um, and he was very nice. And then I got to the, then I got to the, the driver and he was like, Whoa, you weren't kidding. You really had a lot of luggage. And I was like, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I wasn't. That's actually interesting. I was not kidding. <laughs> what a weird <laughs> thing to kid about. It's, uh, wasn't be, I wasn't being yeah, hyperbolic with my baggage. Although then I was actually being hyperbolic with my luggage. Too much baggage. Well, but, no, that, I mean, it was like a, it was like a very obvious metaphor. It was a very, it was a, it was a metaphor that presented itself, and there was no way <laughs> that I could not acknowledge the metaphoric elephant in the room. It's like if an elephant literally walked in the room and pointed its trunk at your baggage. Yeah, and me, <laughs> and me crying and sweating, trying to carry it all. But I'm like, but I can fucking do it. Because I'm strong. I'm the strongest person I know. And I can carry it all myself. God damn it. But you know what I just needed? A 27-year-old named Tyler (laughs) to help me the fuck out. Anyway, wherever you are, Tyler, bless your heart. I hope you you have fun on Long Island. With your bag of snakes. No thanks to you, Delta lady. I know you were at the end of your shift. I get it. But honestly, could have just let me leave those bags in there. Um, I know. But you know what? I'm glad she didn't. Because then we had the Tyler moment. Because you had the Tyler moment. Also, because like if it really is <laughs> like the, had the Tyler moment. <laughs> you had the Tyler moment. Also, if it really was against the rules, imagine if she got fired for like letting you do that. And then you would feel terrible. That seems because, outrageous. But okay. Well, it's like I'll it, I'll I'll go down that road with you. Fine, that's fine. You know what I mean? Because it would have been sure. so stupid. Because those it's rules so, so dumb exist because of like 
terrorism threats. And obviously you're not a terrorist, but who is obviously a terrorist. So, you know, so she's got to follow the rules. Yeah, I guess so. I guess you're right. I was going to say, I'm like a celebrity, which in it, in and of itself is terrifying in its own way. But, <laughs> but I just mean like, you know what I mean? I, I get what you're saying. Like we can't, we can't um, assume things about people based on. Well, but that's what I'm but, saying is, is like, even if she recognized you and knew who you were uh, and was like, it's okay to let I Busy Phillips leave her bags here. And then some suit was like, by the way, you're still fired because you broke the rules. You right. would be like, Ugh. I would feel terrible. Yeah. Right. That's true. But maybe that pivot would have brought her to better things in her life. We don't know. Maybe. Who knows? So anyway, I got back. And here we are. And still don't know about my thyroid stuff because it's going to take a, a while. Another week, right? At least, I think, because it's like there's, I mean, apparently, I don't know, one person in the country that looks at the cells. I don't fucking know. It's, it's, <laughs> maybe get a few more people who know how to do it. Um, but yeah, whatever. I mean, I we talked about this when I had my boob biopsy thing too. Yeah. Like I'm not really a person who at least on a conscious level, like ruminates about what ifs and possibilities when it comes to health stuff, because I do just think that so many things are like, it's just very unpredictable. You never fucking know what's going to happen. So the, the running through all of the, the what ifs is, uh, just an exercise in making yourself crazy or it can be, you know, it doesn't actually, I, I feel like it doesn't actually best prepare you when you're, when you're dealing with like super possibly serious things, but maybe that's, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know what that is. I just think, I mean, listen, your whole conversation is just like, it's just ringing all these bells for me for opportunities to like do better. Like, there needs to be invented a way to lock two carts together at the airport so that someone can manage themselves. Imagine if you had been carrying a baby in a baby carrier. Like, it's, you know, that shit's hard. So there, there's an opportunity to do better there. In terms of, like, getting cells sent out to a laboratory and how long it takes to get it back, knowing that the person is waiting on pins and needles to hear what's going on with them, knowing that something funky was seen in the first place. That's why it was sent out in the first place. I just wish that it wasn't so old school that they were like, you know, putting your cells in an envelope and licking it and snail milling it somewhere or something. You know what I mean? Like I just yeah. wish. I Listen, here's here's a really good example. The uh, This past week we went for like a big doctor appointment with our kid. Yeah. How- no, yeah. How's it going? What's happening? Tell me. It's like we're still, we have to, we found out some more things. And so that leads us to like have to have more tests. There's definitely something going on with him. Um, one thing was ruled out from an MRI. So that was good. But then more was ruled in because of an EEG. So he has to go for like another EEG and an overnight EEG. And so, and then there's two possible things that are happening with him. And then the doctor said maybe both. But what I will say is when we first went into the doctor's office, and he's a great doctor, we sat down 
and we were waiting for the doctor to come in. Then he came in and he sat down at his computer and he started looking at something that we couldn't see. And he was scrolling, scrolling, scrolling quietly. And then he just reached over and silently dialed the phone. And then someone came in and started bending over the computer with him and scrolling, 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 saying, I don't know why it's like that. I don't know why it's like that. And no. Yes. And we were just like, I was about ready to black out from fear, you know, just, (laughs) but it turns out it was just something wrong with the computer. And I was like, you can't, (sighs) you can't leave someone hanging like that for five minutes while you're like, I don't, I've never seen anything like this before. You have to say, don't worry. It's just like the computer's messed up. I'll get to you in one second or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it does feel like that could have just been easily said. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It feels like a, a miss. Yes, but this is what I'm saying. There's so much like, you know, I used to do this thing. I have to start doing it again where when if women would tell me like on social media that they were going to get a mammogram in October or whatever, I would say like if I'm free during the time that you're going for your mammogram, I'll give you my phone number and I'll like text you jokes while you're waiting to hear if everything's okay. Because that is the worst time when you're just sitting there and now you're going through two weeks of waiting and there just seems like there should be a better way for everyone. I agree. It's a lot. I also I also just feel like, yeah, I feel like the it's all been a lot. Like I just there's just a lot happening in the world and yeah. it's it's heavy. It's heavy. Yeah. Here's some nice things. Birdie got a very cool haircut before we left LA. I did see that cool haircut. Yeah. Um, inspired by the kid from Young Royals. <laughs> I was like, you essentially want an like an eighties bully from a movie's haircut. We used to call it a tooth haircut, like in the eighties. I don't know. I what don't that know means. Why. why. It was because my my well, I guess he's kind of my cousin, but uh his sister, Lacey, who I think of as more of a friend than a cousin because we didn't really know each other growing up, but apparently we're somehow related. But her brother, Jeremy, had that haircut. And uh, one day he was like kind of teasing us and giving us a hard time. And then she said, shut up, Jeremy. Your hair looks like a tooth. And it was the funniest thing I ever heard. (laughs) That like movie bully haircut. That's really funny. I mean... Birdies, yeah, Birdie's doesn't Birdie's look like that. Cool. Jeremy's yeah, Birdie's had like cool. a little body that made it like That's funny. Like it made it look like the um the monster in the Bugs Bunny cartoon, the red monster. Oh my god. I'm gonna go get more I have I'm gonna go get more blood taken at some point. Maybe today, maybe I don't know when. Um to check my like ANA levels, like autoimmune stuff. Okay. Um, some also have, you know, like the carpal tunnel and then, I mean, listen, oh, and you then my knees, my knee has been swollen for I days. I saw you had ice on your knee. Yeah. We don't understand why my, we, and by we, I mean me, I don't understand why my knee has been swollen, like basically since I got back. Um, it was kind of swollen the day before I left. I sort of tripped, but I don't think that that was... I don't really know. I, 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 I don't, it wasn't like an injury that should cause the swelling that I'm having in my knee. Yeah. But it's also 
my not great knee. Yeah. Well, I have two not great knees, but it's the one that I didn't have surgery on. Therefore, it's less great than the other one, which has managed to, I don't know, be okay for the most part. Um, I feel like your body's yelling at you. My body is yelling at me. And then I've also just been yelling at other things. So that's (laughs) fun. Um, But yeah, I'm like, but then also I feel like, I don't know. Yeah, it's just, there's a lot. I don't know. It's getting ready for back to school shit. Like people are going back to school, I guess. I I don't know. It's hard to know what to do right now, I guess is my point. Do you feel that way? I feel like it's hard to know what to do. I called you because I was like on the plane and I was feeling for a second like inspired to try to do stuff. Yeah. And I still do kind of, but then also I don't. But then you're over it. You got over your inspiration. Yeah, kind of. No, it's (laughs) not that I'm over my inspiration. It's just that like I'm feeling like a lack of um, energy. Yeah, that's really hard. That um, happens, you know, when you're, I mean, you're never still, you know, not to like put too fine a point on it. You're never still. Even when you're sitting still, you're not still. You're constantly moving. And that is like, I like, I don't know. Do you have that experience where like people are are frustrated at you because of that? Because it always makes me feel for a person. Like when someone... Um, like our friend Eric Gurian, like he can't be still. He's always jiggling his leg. And it, I'm not a jiggler though. Yeah, no, you're not. But it always makes me feel for him. And people are always like, stop doing that. And I'm like, I really feel for him because that is like, you know, he always has to be in motion and like he can never rest. And so I yeah. feel, I, I always feel for people when I feel like something's not letting them rest when they need to rest their body or rest their mind. And, you know, not that I'm great at it, but I feel like I can achieve it at some times. Um, well, yeah, I'm not good at it. So yeah. funny, I'm going to that like therapy retreat thing yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, in a couple of weeks and I was like filling out some of the, you have to do all this stuff before you go. Yeah. And then I had a call with a person from there and they were like going over stuff with me. And then she was like, and so, you know, you're finished at like 2 p.m. on Friday. And like, do you have your after place settled where you're going to spend the weekend? And I was like, I know, listen, because on the site and like in the things that were the like uh, checklist of things that you're supposed to do. They're like, make sure that you give yourself like, you know, 24, but preferably 48 hours after the retreat, like to ease back in and like, don't go directly home and right back into life and like go spend some quiet time with yourself somewhere. Some people go to spa, like literally like people go to like get massages and stay at a hotel for, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I can't see that happening. (laughs) And she's like, well, okay, we're good. What part can't you see happening? I was like, I'm not going to fucking go from being away for an entire week on a retreat to like some spa for 48 hours. Like, that's insane. Like, I'm going to immediately go home and see my kids and like 
get back into life. I understood what she was saying. Yeah, because let me ask you this. Why is it insane to tack on two more days when you've already been away for five? What will be seven? Oh, it'll be seven altogether. Or uh, like seven, so then it would be nine. nine. That's too much. But if you were getting surgery as soon as you woke up in the recovery room, would you be like, okay, see you guys? Instead of like staying at the hospital and letting them monitor your surgical incision, have you have we met? <laughs> you probably would. Like fucking <laughs> is that a real question? What are you talking about? But I mean, you're not. I like came home from to. sinus surgery and I was like, wait, when can I go back to LACFIT? No, I like, know, I know, I've done. The I'm same not thing a, too. I've yeah, I'm not uh and like and Birdie like immediately was like, um, as soon as my sinus, she's like, ugh. How long are you going to have to lie down with a sinus surgery? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm hard on myself. Other people in my life are tough on me too. Like, it's just, it is, it is. Well, listen, maybe it'll all change. And maybe the, yeah, maybe, maybe it'll all change at the retreat. Who I'm knows? Just saying, I'm saying just for different perspective, if they're recommending to you that this is the way it works best, give it a shot to do it the way that it works best. Okay. If you can. I told her I would stay somewhere Friday night. Okay. And go home Saturday. And she was like, okay. All right. That's that's fine. Yeah. A compromise. Fine. A compromise. Each and every. Each and every. Each and every. Keeps my pits so clean, smelling, and also not clogged with unnatural ingredients. So dumb. Um, I was talking to my friend Sim, and she's like, "I know I I don't listen to the ads." And I was like, "I'm sorry, Sim. The ads are my favorite part of the podcast. That's <laughs> not a joke. I really love doing them because I love getting a chance to talk about things I love. And you know what I love? I do love natural deodorant because many many years ago, I remember being like, "I'm not putting aluminum under my armpits. That can't be good for you." And I think I was right. <laughs> Now we have each and every. This is my favorite deodorant. It really works. It's unisex. Every person in mine home who needs deodorant, and there are currently three of those <laughs> people, um, uses each and every. And I feel like one of the greatest things about it is there are no parabens, no artificial fragrances. It's formulated with just six simple ingredients. And uh, it's been found, each and every has been found to fight odor as well as an antiperspirant. Come on. It's vegan. It's cruelty-free. There's sustainable packaging made from sugarcane. You're not going to regret going natural with each and every. So we have an awesome deal to get you started on your natural deodorant journey, 30% off your first purchase of each and every. Just go to our special URL, eachandevery.com slash best, and use our promo code BEST30. Don't miss out on 30% off. Use promo code BEST30 at eachandevery.com slash best. Well, let me tell you something. Babel has been in my home. We have been using Babel. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> Listen, 
I think here, here's what's happening in, in my own home. I do not speak two languages. I'm going to. Oh, I'm going to. I'm going to speak more than that. When you travel to places and you don't know the language, it is, you feel at such a loss. Yes. You know? Yes. But there's Babbel. It's the number one selling language learning app. Through Babbel's bite-sized lessons, you'll learn new language skills that you can actually use in the real world, like greetings, how to read menus, how to get directions, to even like gaining a deeper understanding of the culture. Babbel is a travel essential, but also just like an educational essential. So Birdie's been using Babbel for their Swedish lessons. Oh, interesting. Uh Okay. Uh Uh-huh. And I've been using Babbel a little bit to help me because Cricket is in a Spanish immersion program right now, and I don't speak Spanish fluently. And so I... I need to help my child with their homework and I need to know how to do it. So Babbel has these 15-minute lessons and it's perfect for learning language on the go when I'm walking around town, when I'm making dinner, I have my little AirPods in and I can listen to the language uh, lessons. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts, and their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and your accent. Perfect. So listen, guys, there are so many ways to learn with Babbel. There are you can access podcasts, games, videos, stories, even live classes. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you get an additional three months for free. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to Babbel.com and use promo code BEST. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com, code B-E-S-T. Babbel. Language for life. <sighs> so anyway, what have I been doing my best at this week? Let me see. <laughs> She's literally looking around the room. Hmm. I wore my braces. I've been wearing my braces for my carpal tunnel. That's so good. It's like the headgear of adulthood. Yeah. It. It still isn't, like, it's not great, but it's okay. D- it doesn't um, seem to be helping, or? Not really. Mm. Uh, my friend had this lady body worker, like, recommended this body worker lady, and she came over yesterday and did some, like, massage, but also, like, some, I don't know, weird, like, lymphatic drainage-type things, too, that were different. Okay. Oh, and cu- like some cupping, light cupping, not like the cupping that. No, I know you <laughs> leaves, can't with the that leaves like bruises all over you. Not the bruise kind, yeah. But just like she was using these cups on my wrists and stuff. Okay. And I did feel like it felt better for a second. Um, it was pretty good. I mean, that worked pretty well. And. I don't know. I'm I'm trying. It's hard. I'm having a hard time. Obviously, you know, you know. I'm very clearly having a hard time. Yeah. <sighs> um. I think. But, I mean, listen. Just getting your bags out of that fucking airport is was a doing, win. Yeah. 
You could have just like abandoned six of them and been like, well, whatever's in these two bags is what we're going forward with in life. Yeah. I mean, it did cross my mind. I know you're, you're probably, you're not supposed to do that either. They probably would have <laughs> probably like sent someone after them. you. Yeah. Probably sent like a, like a robot, a robot bomb diffuser or something. Mark had a funny story. I mean, it's not, I don't know if it's funny, but he had a story once like years and years ago when he went to London to visit a girlfriend and he left his backpack on the bus, like to he something. And like, remembered was so jet lagged and then remembered later and went back and they had like blown up his backpack. Oh my God. What was it? <laughs> I don't know. Like probably like a hacky sack. I don't know. He was like, <laughs> he was like in college. He was like a weird like hippie in college. Oh, and then I went and saw Bruce Springsteen with my friend Simran. Yes. Over the weekend, she came into town and we went and did that. And it was weird to be in a theater, but yeah. everybody wore, you had to th- show proof of vaccination and then everybody wore masks and that was nice. Um, and I liked the show. I mean, it's not like, here's what I'm going to say. It's not like going to a Bruce Springsteen concert where he's like, right. where there's Just like the band yeah. and he's rocking out and they're playing the hits. It's like very much a one man show. Yes with songs that tie into the parts of his life that he's talking about. Right. Did they put it on like HBO or something? I know they did the David Byrne one. I love the David Byrne one. I think they did. Well, I have to ask Lincoln because he's obsessed with Bruce Springsteen. So maybe he would probably He know, is? But, you know, yeah. He's such an old soul. Yes. Because I, I mean, did a little bit feel like I was like, I mean, I think if I were like, 65, I would really be, this would really be yeah. hitting home. But a little bit, I was like, hmm, okay. Yeah. He not really he, relate to any of this experience. <laughs> like his, he, He's not like in his Springsteen phase right now. Right now, I think he's more... Um, Lady Gaga? No, he loves David Bowie. He loves Freddie Mercury and Queen. Um, and he also, his his... The one modern person he really loves is this guy Steve Lacey. He's oh, I like Steve Lacey. Steve Lacey, yeah, but um, but he's always been like <laughs> when he was little, um, when he could like barely spell or whatever. He always like latches onto something and becomes like a completist. Like he listens to all of it. He becomes a historian who That's knows birdie. everything about it. Yeah. yeah, but um, when he was little, I guess he must have gotten into our record collection or whatever, and we found uh. We found a note from him saying that he loved Bud Hole, but it, he meant Buddy Holly. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> like, that's so weird and also really funny. But it's cute, you know. <sighs> Buddy Holly was like uh, was our wedding song, so he's an old soul in that way. But he he loves Bruce Springsteen. So, um, what are you doing your best at this week? What am I doing my best at this week? I guess I'm like I'm having an interesting week because. 
some people are asking me to work on new things that I've never done before. And that's mm-hmm. always exciting. And, but also like daunting because I'm like, who am I to do this? You know, like, who am I to try to jump into this ring or whatever that like negative self-talk. But a lot of things that people are asking me to try new are like speculative. You know what I mean? So like, yes. are you interested in doing a lot of work for no money and like maybe it'll become something. And so I'm like, okay, that's a fun adventure. Um, But, you know, it's not the same as being asked to do that when you're in your 20s and you're like, what you know, I don't have responsibilities or whatever. So you can more easily do that. Then on the other hand, a lot of people from my past who I've known for a really long time are asking me to do work for money but it's stuff that I kind of thought that I was past doing mm. and that I wouldn't have to do anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, but I'm doing it, you know, because it's like, A, I'm really fortunate that they're like offering me those opportunities still. But there is a part of me that is not being the nicest person um, about it. Like, just not to them or to, you know, whoever, but just like, oh, I'd really like, this is like the same shit I was doing when I was 27. I know. But here is, this is the, this is the advice from Angela from Soul Cycle. <laughs> the great Angela. She's amazing. Yes. Just that in for whatever reason... In this moment in your life, you're being asked to like be humble and grateful. Yeah. And so you need to just be grateful in that place of and be and be humble, but also like give yourself that grace. Yeah. Like that it doesn't mean you've done anything wrong or that you because you thought you were like past a thing, but now you're being asked to go back in time. It doesn't mean that the work that you have done that's like, you know, overqualifies you for yeah. this stuff doesn't didn't yeah. exist or you weren't good at it. It's just like, for whatever reason, this is the moment that is happening right now. And you just need to like roll with it, I guess, is the, yeah. is the point. And be grateful I'm, and like sit there, like be sit in gratitude in those moments and like yeah. genuinely try to feel it. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I think like this time around, because I think I am you normally very humble and grateful to a, you point, are. To a point where sometimes I'm like, is that holding me back? Like if I were less grateful and less humble, would I be in a better place? You know, I think what I'm trying to do this time is separate out what I'm grateful for versus what I am not necessarily like, I think it's okay to admit like, oh, this isn't really what I wish to be doing right now. But as long as I have like a good attitude about the work and, you know, it's, You know what I will say? It's an interesting perspective because I am far from the only person in the United States of America tying my shoes in the morning to go do something that I really don't feel like doing. Right. You know, I am I am far from unique in that regard. Lots of people day in, day out are like, you know, doing things that not only aren't close to their dreams, actually Mm -hmm. like 
are just things that are really hard to do. And I've been that person. I've had that job. I've had that job where I'm driving into like my shift crying because it is the last fucking thing I want to do on earth, you know? And I just, it's just what you got to do at that minute, you know? Um, So yeah. So it's just putting it into perspective for me, how like, we talk a lot about like uh, pursuing your dreams and and like saying yes to yourself, but sometimes you just have to do shit that you don't want to do, and it's not fun. And just like that stupid positive vibes only sign last week, like it's okay to be like, <laughs> ugh, I hate this. You know, I agree. I agree. I just think that like there's value in like acknowledging that. Yes, but also like acknowledging that like nothing lasts forever. Right. And if you can be able to like really ex- like really have gratitude for whatever it is in that moment, even if it wasn't what you planned on and you know that you're fucking better than it, I do think that that reflects and other yeah. people pick up on it. And then I think that other things happen because of it. I think it can at least. I mean, maybe. Yeah. I never think that I'm better than something. It's just things that oh, I, I do. I feel like I'm past, you know what I mean? Like it's things that like, if I was doing something when I was I know 25 years yeah, old yeah, yeah. to be mm-hmm. doing it 20 years later, the same exact thing. What, you know, if it's something that you loved, if you were like, you know, if you were making shoes when you were 25 and you're still doing it in your forties, cause you love it. That's amazing. But if you're doing something that you were capable of at a time that I consider I was still a child and like people are still wanting me to do it, that's I'm grateful for that. And then I'll be grateful for the check. But also I think it's okay to acknowledge like, oh, I it, to me, I feel like I don't really have a lot of like new twists to put on this. It's not like you know, so it's just an interesting mix of like, you know, like revisiting some things that I thought were over, you know, and trying these new ventures. Yeah. Yeah. I also have like, feel like I've been dealing with a lot of things I thought were left in the past. Yeah. It's funny when that shit comes back up and you're like, whoa. What? Yeah. We moved past this. Either <laughs> like, e- whether it's like emotional or like actual, you know? Right. right. Like, I'm pretty sure I don't need to. Oh, I guess I do. What is that about? <laughs> so funny. I mean, well, yeah. I, uh, yeah. It's weird. Here's what I will say the, like, those feelings, like that, maybe not necessarily positive feelings that sort of can like make you act out in the form of like whatever it is you do when you're acting out. Like if you're like eating things that, you know, don't make you feel good or drinking too much or like cutting your own bangs. This time really manifested in me being like, I think I need bangs. Like my forehead is really bothering me. That's the way that I was like acting out is really, really feeling deeply that I need bangs, but there is a modern workaround. Don't cut your own bangs. There are apps that you can use to put bangs on pictures of yourself. And if you just like let yourself do that for 20 minutes, you can avoid like a terrible self bang cutting incident. This is great advice, useful. And I feel like people can take this into their own homes. And this is like where I really feel like we're doing the Lord's work. You know what I mean? (laughs) 
I just don't, you so know. So where I feel like, obviously, this podcast is <laughs> definitely a necessary addition to people's. And that we're going to win a podcast Pulitzer Prize for. I mean, we're doing the work that is so imperative. Anyway, I don't fucking know, guys. There's like, I, I just, you know. Yeah. If I can save one person from cutting their own bangs, just by reminding you that there are virtual apps on which to try bangs, then, you know, then it's worth it. All we need to do is save one person from making a bad decision, hair-wise. Well, I don't know. I mean, there's stuff going on. In the world, there's, I mean, I don't know what's happening with the hurricane. I actually haven't been catching up on things. I actually don't know what's happening. I mean, the hurricane was rough stuff and, uh-huh. uh, you know, and not something that mm. folks in those regions ever need to go through again. But unfortunately, it's like a, a sad reality of, you know, where they live geographically. Um, I remember not understanding during Katrina, like what happened, how hot it is and what happens. Right, right. Yeah, so people need to have their homes repaired. They need to have, you know, from flooding damage. People need their power restored. People, you know, and when you're talking about power, that involves like, you know, pretty basic things like food and hygiene. And that makes life really, really difficult. Um, So... Yeah, so I think that's where everybody's focused on now that the the storm has kind of passed. Um, what else is happening? There's still a pandemic going on. Um, Afghanistan, that has been like a truly upsetting and... It's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking situation. Yeah. And... Uh, they got rid of that guy that was going to be the Jeopardy host. Yeah, I mean, I guess he they allowed him to step down rather than their original plan, which was to have him continue his job with a minder. What the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> I guess someone just uh, walk around and hit him with a ruler every time he did what he does. <laughs> I don't know. I just, it's very, that's also a thing that like just this week, like the mediocrity and the failing up has really like just, there's been years of it and like, it's, it's exhausting. Say it. It's, it's fucking exhausting to just be like that. There's so many great people out there. There's so many capable, qualified people and you're going to keep this guy who has done things so upsetting to like your the audience of your show that he needs to be followed around by a babysitter? It's so wild. It's so wild. It's just it's so weird to me what people are held responsible for versus what people are never held responsible for. <sighs> and then, you know, 
so now he's he's going to step down and there's going to be a new producer and they're looking for a new host. And it's just like, I just also wonder, like, why can't one time, why can't a corporation give people what they want? People said they would watch that fucking show if LeVar Burton was the host. Like, just do that. There was no need for all of this shenanigans. And that guy would have flown under the radar and still had the one job. There was no need for the fuckery. There was no need for the fucking fuckery. It should have just been LeVar. We all knew that. But now isn't Mayim, Bi- can't say her name. Isn't Mayim Bi- Bialik? 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 <laughs> Thank God she was never on the talk show. <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to do it. She's going to be like a, a part-time host for some special episodes or something. She said she couldn't <sighs> commit. She couldn't commit. Um, Me neither. Wise. I don't know. I don't know. And it's she just has a like, t- isn't she on like a TV show? Uh, doesn't she have like a TV show where she plays like a cat lady or something, and she like likes cats a lot? Isn't that a TV show? I'm not even kidding. I think there probably, is a show, and maybe? like maybe her name is also Cat or something like that, and like she like loves cats. Come on, what guys. is this? Is this look true? Look it up. Look or it up. is it a dream that you <laughs> swear to God? I swear to God, she's like the star of some like network television show about a woman who like loves cats, whose name is also Cat. It sounds like um, <laughs> it sounds like a a limited series based on um a book that you find at one of those um twirly book novel racks in CVS by the pharmacy. <sighs> the way you're describing it. I mean, okay. I feel like, I don't know. <laughs> I have to look it up now. Okay. You'd have to look it up. I just feel like there's so many like insane TV shows that you're like, that can't possibly be real. And then, and then you then find it, out they are. absolutely is. There's and like you- four other versions of Girls 5 Eva I just found out about. <laughs> not, I'm not even getting. I'm literally not even getting. Well, there's I'm, like one on like YouTube Red. There's like a hip hop version coming to Fox starring like, like Brandy. The old boy band one with Kevin Farley on MTV. That's what I'm saying. Which, I didn't know. Um, Call Me Cat, it's called. There See? Were, See? There were 13. And, there have been 13 and, episodes. What is it about? Read what it's about from IMDb. What is it, what do they say? What is the one line? What does it say? Oh my gosh. Um a 39-year-old woman decides sure. to use the money her parents had been saving for her wedding to open a cat-themed cafe. There you go. And her name is Cat. And it's on Fox. There you go. It's not even on like I would have thought it would be on a some type of deep cable channel. Deep. No, that is straight. That is Fox <laughs> Network television. <laughs> Call me cat. Like, and then just, it's like, just like her with her hands up, like, uh, like I am on the cover of our <laughs> podcast, but she's just like surrounded by cats. I cannot believe that that totally escaped my notice. Like I had never heard of, never heard of such a thing, such a show. That's already been on. I at this point, if I, I'm never, I'm never offended if people 
assume I haven't worked for 20 years. Right. You know what I mean? Like, there's just too much. How do you know what anything, like, what have you been doing since White Chicks? Like, I don't know. Nothing. I have no fucking idea. It is wild. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. There's so much stuff. There's so much stuff to watch, so much stuff being made, and yet it is so hard to get anything made. Well, there's, I'm going to say it. There's a lack of great stuff. Yes. Even the, even the, even the stuff that's considered great is fine. Yeah. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I think, listen, here's what I think is maybe the problem. I think it's hyperbole. Like it's just television. So like, even though we're in like a golden age of television, people love to Mm. throw that term around. We're not, what does it even fucking mean? There's no golden age. It's just more fucking shit to wade through. It's, it's, it's not like the, it's not like the level of stuff has gotten or like the quality. No, I guess it looks like, oh my God. We always had Norman Lear, but here's what I want to say. Norman Lear we could use right now. Well, we do have him. That's the thing. And then he makes stuff and then people don't fucking pay attention to it because there's too much shit. Here's what I think is really damaging. If a show is good and people are enjoying it, then everybody has to like dissect it and digest it so much past the point where it's like, it's not even a show anymore. It's like just, and where I really noticed it was with Fleabag. Like, Fleabag was great. It was a good show. That woman is very talented. But when people start tweeting, like, this show means so much to me and I want her to step on my neck, that doesn't even make any fucking sense. What does that mean? Like, sexually or something? Yeah, I guess. And then it's like, you're just being weird. You're being fucking weird. And like, You made it weird. That's the name of Pete Holmes' podcast. Which you've been a guest on. I really do think that we could join forces with Pete Holmes and then make even less money than we make now for this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but at least it would be, but at least we would be three, it would be three hours shared with him. I don't know. I like, <laughs> that was, the joke was, you know where the joke was. Sorry. It's, whoa. I popped a can. Vizzy. <laughs> Is it a Vizzy? <laughs> it looks like a Vizzy. <laughs> it's just your like chill 10 a.m. busy. Yeah. Just- um, I don't know, man. Yeah, it's like complicated and weird and I don't know. I was thinking about a lot of stuff this week, uh, obviously. Busy and- is, <laughs> is buffing her manicure right now. That's what that noise is. You are giving like an ASMR. I'm using my Olive and June. Yes. that That is like, that's where... That is where our mistake is. It, we should just have a YouTube channel of you buffing your nails. All my for, ASMR shit. For hours. For yeah. you could you could, it could probably just be nail buffing. Mm, I could do anything. Yeah. I will. I will. <laughs> I'm gonna say it right now. I fucking will. <laughs> Guys, what is it you want? I'll do it. <laughs> That's where we're at. I will do it. Oh, you know what though? Gosh. Okay, let's take it to the people case. Yeah. Shall we? Yeah. Who, why? Who fucking cares? Let's just do it. All right, guys. Here's what we... After our show is over, Casey's looking at me like, what the fuck are you about to Well, because I don't know what you're about to say, so I'm interested as well. After our, after show, our is over, show is over, we were like working toward trying to build this whole other thing based on... Uh, I don't know. Like based on... Like basically kind of continuing... Uh, 
a version of the TV show, but it had like other elements to it too. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be like reductive and say it was like, like to try to give you like that it was like a goop or something like that. Cause it, what, that's not exactly accurate. That's not exactly right. Right. I think that what we wanted to do was to do a version of the show that was yes. basically networkless without yes. a network so that it couldn't be canceled unless we decided to cancel it. And we mm-hmm. wanted to like sort of just send it directly to people mm-hmm. like into text, their in, into their phones, uh-huh. in their inboxes. And uh-huh. um, because people don't have television Mm -hmm. they don't have cable tv anymore Mm -hmm. and we wanted to like put it in a landing spot that was basically just a page that you could open and keep open all day and check in like a companion and like a friend and we wanted to make it free so we were looking to get it ads like we didn't want to do like a not that, I mean, there's literally no shade, but we didn't want to do like a Patreon or a thing where we were like asking people to pay us directly. Just because, and I will say so many people have offered that and it is so generous, but the way that we feel sort of about it is like even news now, only like things that are behind a paywall, only people who can afford what's behind the paywall get it. And so it's like people aren't even getting the same news. They're, they don't have the same news available to That's them. That's exactly right. And they don't have the same content available to them. So like when right. you talk about the golden age of television, it's like, well, yeah, sure. If we all if could like HBO. watch yeah, HBO and Showtime and Max and fucking Blade of Blue and Blop, Blop, Bleep, you know. And right, like, right. Whatever, all whatever. These, all of these great things, but you can, yeah, sure. We can watch. You can watch Ava DuVernay's, you know, show like the Thirteenth. You can watch like all of this programming, right? But if like the only thing, you know, if you're working to make it all happen, and you're like, I'm just, I just have three channels and you know, basic cable or whatever, you're sort of like. You're left out of the golden age of television for the most part. There are some breakthroughs. For instance, sometimes really popular things are actually really good in television, film, and and movies, and not just Marvel things. I think Modern Family was objectively a really good show. Yeah. I did talk shit about the guy who created it in my book, and he got very upset, but I still think the show is really good. Anyway... And that was like the number one show on TV. I think How I Met Your Mother, which Julia Duffy mentions in our interview with her today, was like a great fucking show. Yes. That was available to everyone. I think that there are some really terrible shows that are, you know. Anyway, whatever. Why is this? Why did I go on that tangent? Well, we're just we're just talking about like we had an idea that we thought. So that was the idea. Yes. Let's make this available to everybody who wants it. And, you know, with with no bar to entry, zero dollars to enter and, you know, and maybe it can be funded by one of, you know, these very wealthy corporations who say that they want to do things along these lines. And, you know, look, like, would we do this for free? Well, we're not independently wealthy people who come from, like, rich families. So, no. Like, we have to make money, you know? Like, unfortunately, we have to, like, also support ourselves and our families and things. So, that was the idea. That was, like, how... By the way, in this version, 
much like with Busy Tonight, it's not like we were like, we're going to be billionaires. It I was mean, like, it was like, we are going to make t- <laughs> some money, but not like, like we're going to make a, like maybe a living question mark. When I tell you when, like when Busy Tonight first ended, we went around to like meetings with different streaming platforms and networks that were interested in maybe continuing it. And the most fun part of that process, the most unfun part is that it didn't happen. The most fun part of that process was telling everyone what the cost per episode was of Busy Tonight and having people be like, what? It was so inexpensive. Like another comparable show (laughs) um, was which I believe was lower rated than Busy Tonight, cost four times as much. Four times! Another show that was, um, we don't know how it compared like audience size-wise because it was on a streamer. And so we weren't able, that that's fairly inscrutable when it comes to like what the size of the audience was. Cost 10 times per episode what Busy Tonight cost. So we were running a very tight, inexpensive, crafty, low budget ship. And, you know, so, so I know that we can do amazing things. It was fun. It was fun. And, you know, and we had a really tiny team and everybody worked their tits off. And like, that's just, you know, that's, it's just how it was. But I know what we can do with a small amount of money. What you can't do with a small amount of money is get very, very rich. So that's obviously not what we were in it for. That was never, we just wanted to like put some nice things into the world. Right. Make some nice stuff. Right. uh, That didn't have shitty messaging. Yeah. And reinforced maybe good ideas and maybe helped people think about things in different ways. That's all we wanted to do. And make people feel less alone and feel... seen and, make, and heard. Yes, and make and help people to feel less alone and more seen and more heard. And I think by extension even ourselves because I think that that happens when you find community like that. So anyway, that didn't work out, guys. It <laughs> And like, I don't you know, to tell you that didn't we, work out. we worked for a really long time talking about like working on spec. We worked for like over a year on trying to make this happen. A couple times it seemed like, oh, we're so close. It's going to happen like in a few days. Oh, it's going to happen. I, yeah. No, it was, I felt like certain. Yeah. I thought we were like, we were going to be at like South by Southwest announcing it. And- yeah. And then, you know, the the world changed and people's priorities changed. And we understood that because we certainly went into survival mode ourselves. But so anyway, then Busy texts me from the plane. And I was like, okay, well, so we're not going to do that because we tried. And... <laughs> And it's also like, it's a little bit of a problem of like explaining because we were asking, I think, for so little money. And then people would be like, no, we don't want to give you money to make a whole show, but we will give you money to do an Instagram post (laughs) or, you know, which was so weird. Here's the thing. And I guess if I were a different thinker, maybe, maybe the problem is, is me that I didn't think enough outside of a box. Probably, probably. No. I guess what I should have 
what I should have done at a certain point was made some sort of one of those deals and then just been like, okay, here's $200,000 or whatever. Right. That's a lot of fucking money. Right. Do all the work for whatever the brand is that's going to, that's paying me the exorbitant amount of money, which would be like, so it's basically like double work, like, and then just invest it back in. But then I would need to try to make monies. I don't know. Then I would have to make double that somehow. Yeah, I don't fucking know. I don't know. It was yeah. confusing. It was hard for me to figure out. That's where it gets confusing. And then and then you're like, oh, gosh, like, yeah, it's just trying to get someone to believe in you and to believe in your vision. And we just we didn't get that that football across the goal line on that at that time. But so anyway, you texted. And I just was like, why don't we do like another sort of version of it ish? Why don't we just do, why don't we do like a newsletter? Would you guys want that? Would you want a newsletter? Would you want like a newsletter that's like, just like, not like, I don't know. Are we thinking weekly? I think it depends. I think it depends on, I think monthly is probably not enough myself. But to to hold people's interest, I don't think. um, Daily? Should we do it daily? (laughs) daily might be too much, you know, so gotta get the copy in. (laughs) I feel like a weekly newsletter could be something that people are interested in. You tell us, is that something, do you subscribe to newsletters? Is that something that you're interested in? Like if we did it, like, I'm always so confused by the celebrities that are like, text me. And then they get the, that company, you know, like the Ashton Kutcher company to like get the, the phone numbers, like on some sort of like aggregated list or whatever. And then they just use it to like, what do they use it for? Just to like tell you and I feel like people are over that shit, right? Aren't they? Well, or do people I mean, still do it? Busy is organizing her desk now. She's she's do, still doing her manicure. I, I just want I can't sit still. You, I want I just want to let people know since this is not a visual medium and it sounds a little bit like like um well, I don't want to leave it to your imagination unless that's more fun for you. But uh, but I think like the when people are like, text me your number, I think it's a few things. I think they're getting a mailing list and I think it's like kind of probably data mining is the reason why why corporations pursue that so hard so that they can mm-hmm. like sort of target users, which we all know that we're like being targeted with our, you know, advertisements that we see and stuff on social Listen, media. I, I have never not enjoyed something, an ad that's been targeted toward me. Right. So I think there's that. I think also a lot of celebrities, like, I think they just try things without thinking it through. You know what I mean? Like I, when you mentioned a newsletter, I signed up for a bunch of newsletters to see like what people were sending out and like, you know, where there's a white space or what I think that you guys listening right now would like. Wait, and, so what, what is it? Tell me, tell me. Well, I just think it's like, you know, I think sometimes people say like, I wish the podcast came out every day. That wouldn't be possible. So I think this could just be like more of the same, like more talking about like health concerns, financial concerns, celebrity, well, light well, celebrity gossip. Well, right. Well, well, uh. What's her name? Who we like? Nikki Glaser. Yes. She does a daily podcast, right? Yes. 
I mean, she doesn't have kids, though. Well, she also does it live with her roommate. And, you know, that's really the the main thing that makes it easy, you know. The biggest bar to doing, like, a daily podcast right now is that, yeah, you have, like, life and and kids and a schedule. And it's hard sometimes to schedule you for a weekly podcast. And sometimes it's hard for me to schedule myself for a weekly podcast just because of how it works. So a newsletter would enable you to be kind of, like, more flexible. You could write it when you could and get it out and people can consume it kind of like the podcast when they – want to. And Mm -hmm. that's all exciting. But it's, you know, it's interesting. I'd be interested to hear what people would want out of that and what people would expect out of that. I think here's what I'm saying. I signed up for a bunch of newsletters and I am seeing a lot of people do make it a Patreon or they make it like a subscription thing where there's like levels, like people get bonus stuff, whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. But what I'm curious about is I also see people already like saying like, I'm not sure what the bonus content is going to be yet or whatever. And I'm like, wow, like do people love someone so much that they're like, I don't care what it is. Even if you don't know what it is yet, I'm signing up for it. Cause I can't get enough, you no, know, that's fucking insane. Also, like, <laughs> I don't want like, I, no, it, that's exhausting to me. I don't need yeah. to like also be doing bonus content. Like the content <laughs> is the fucking content. Do you know what right. I mean? Right. Yeah. But it's- I am bored. I got to be honest. I'm like fucking bored of Instagram stories. You know, I already did it, guys. I did it. <laughs> I fucking nailed it. I invented it. How everyone does it is because of how I did it. And I don't even fucking care. If that sounds insane, it's true. Um, But I mean, really, if we want to like credit someone, we should credit the real world. Um, (laughs) And my upbringing and the amount of television that I watched. Shout out to Judd Winnick. Judd from San Francisco? Yeah, he's just my favorite real worlder. And he's a a children's book author. I mean, I know who that is. Yeah, he's a children's book author now. And a very nice person. He was with the woman on the show. Yeah, they're married still. And they were friends with Pedro. Yes. And it was San Francisco. Anyway, guys, that's a tangent we don't need to get into. So, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I just am trying to think of some things that might be interesting for us to be doing that also maybe we could put somehow we you put ads in them. I don't know how anything works. I just wish I wish I were a little bit. More like a dude, you know? Oh, 30 million women. 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. If you're among them, you're not alone. There's a solution that you can trust to deliver results. Um, thousands and thousands of women have taken back control of their hair with Nutrafol. I know you've heard of this before. Yes. I recently have just received and has started and have started to take it because I have felt post 40 guys that my hair has not been as thick and luscious. (laughs) 
as it once was. <laughs> as it once was. And healthier hair growth takes time. It, you begin to experience thicker, stronger, faster growing hair in three to six months. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months. More than 1,500 top doctors recommend Nutrafol as an effective and high quality solution for healthier hair. I'm super excited, especially because when I work, there's lots of heat and irons and clip and extensions and things. And I would like for my hair to be thicker and healthier. So you can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our little show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering our promo code busy to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere. It's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. So plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com. That's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com with the promo code busy. Dipsy, dipsy, let's get hot and heavy in our ears. I mean, what is that? <laughs> Do you think they'll use that one? I mean, I don't listen, know. Listen, these know, are, you're just spitballing. These are all. I'm trying. I'm trying, trying so hard. It's, you know? cre- it's called creativity. Look it, it is. Up. But you know what? Here's the truth. We all need an escape. We all do right now. But that can be kind of hard to come by. So. Enter Dipsy. You can let yourself get lost in a world where good things happen and where your pleasure is the only priority. Dipsy is, guys, an audio app, and it's full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. Every story features characters that feel like real people and immersive scenarios. You feel like you're there. You can listen to stories about hooking up with your hometown crush you never made a move on or a coworker you always had a thing for or maybe a story that puts you in bed with someone who's telling you exactly what they'd like to do to you. They release new content every week. There's always more to explore no matter who you're into, what turns you on. And if you're just like, I'm just tired. I just need to wind down. Dipsy also has wellness sessions, sensual bedtime stories, and soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off. So for listeners of our show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash best. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash best. Dipsystories.com slash best. What did James Corden do this week? Speaking of dudes. Oh, there's that new um, Cinderella that's coming out on Amazon, the live action Cinderella that is directed yeah. by Kay Cannon. Uh-huh. Who we love. Um, but they did some type of promo on the streets of LA where they did a flash mob. It was James Corden, Adina Menzel, uh-huh. um, Billy Porter, and Camila Cabello, who are all in the movie, dressed up in like, well, James Corden was in a mouse costume and everybody else was in some type of, you know, fairy godmother slash Cinderella finery, but they did a flash mob dancing on the streets of LA. And that kind of went viral, even though to me, it seemed like the person in the car was in on it that was recording the whole thing. Um, But people, for some reason, the backlash, I feel like only stuck to James Corden, where people were like, (laughs) could 
could you imagine? I feel like he's <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh so hard, but it just does because I just feel like it's like people are just looking for a fucking reason with that guy. They are looking for a fight. <laughs> that is. Which is a good really point. Funny. Like, I mean, the point is, and like in the video, he's in this mouse costume and he happened to like thrust his pelvis into like the open window of the car, making eye contact with the driver during the flash mob. Is it, people, was it a woman? I don't know because you never see, it's only from that person's point of view. But people are like, can you imagine if you were in LA trying to fucking get to work <laughs> and James Corden like thrust his mouse costume dick into your window? Like that that would be a bad start to the day. But it turns out that it's like actually was supposedly filmed as a bit for his show and it's all just a promo for the Cinderella movie. But here's a good example of like trying to read the room and trying to figure out what people want. Like in what way is that supposed to get people excited for what looks like a very fun movie? Like in what way is disrupting traffic and thrusting your hips in a mouse costume. <laughs> I think I think that I think he went rogue on that one. I, think I don't so think that that was I don't think that was the directive was like once James is in the mouse costume, we'll have him thrust through an open window. Of yeah, a car, that was just his creative that was call. His, that was his, his. He was feeling it and he just <laughs> went more. I guess I have to watch it now because actually it's, it is really making me laugh. And I don't know if you've noticed, but I haven't laughed much today. So I do feel like. I mean, at least there's that. I I mean, I don't know. I think that like that's the I look, when you try to appeal to everyone, you appeal to no one. And I'm feel like you and I feel the same about that. Like I've never tried to appeal to everyone. I <laughs> I want to appeal to the people who are listening to this podcast. Like the people who like genuinely enjoy and the stick things with, we make. Yeah, stick with us. And, you know, I'd rather have five people that really enjoyed That's what, what I we mean. were doing than 5,000 people who borderline hated us. I wonder if people sometimes borderline hate me. And I wouldn't blame them if they did. I get it. I honestly. I'm sure people do. I'm sure yeah. people oh, do. For sure. Bo- oh, both oh, of 100% us. 100% people yeah. fucking hate me. Yes, that with, goes without saying. I mean, I can name some of them. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I know it. I know it. I'm the person that reads the emails and like the messages from the Instagram account. And so I feel bad calling this person out, but I'm not going to say their name. But somebody was like, oh, Casey says like so much on the podcast. It makes me crazy. And I was like, hi, it's me. I'm the person getting your email. Like, what should I do? <laughs> the way that I speak. <laughs> and then they were like, oh, nothing. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to like hurt your feelings or whatever. I was like, oh, but you had to say it. You yeah, know. Well, you had to say it. <laughs> so, I mean, I definitely I'm like, well, for every one person that's willing to like write an email and send it, I'm sure there's dozens. I have to say, wait, that. It reminded me just now, I'm really just so Birdie's mother now. It reminds me of this Taylor Swift lyric that I love. (laughs) (laughs) But it does. So casually cruel in the name of being honest. Like that has become like a real character flaw of our society. 
Yes, of more our, people are of like, our I'm current just being culture. I, I'm so sorry. I just have to be honest. You suck. Like, you're <laughs> literally terrible. Like, I hate your voice. I don't like your body. Uh, your hair is not what I ch- would choose. Also, those moles should be removed. You're terrible. I just had to be honest with you because, like, here I am sitting here, and there you are just sitting there eating your cheeseburger, and I just felt like I just had to come over and tell you. Let you know. Just let you know that what you do sucks. <laughs> it all sucks. It's so weird because, yeah, I had this conversation with a relative of mine once who really fell into that trap that I'm just being honest. Just and being like, honest. I'm just saying the truth. Everyone else is afraid to say the truth. And I was like, why do you do that? And they were like, because I'm not phony, you know, like oh, I'm not boy. a phone. And I was like, it's not, you're not being phony by not saying those things. You're just being kind and polite. When you do have to call someone out for something that they're doing that's genuinely harming someone, it really like mutes the impact of saying like, hey, actually what you're doing is is not great for this person. It's actually like hurting this person or whatever. But I guess why would anyone doing that care that, <laughs> you know, care about like the bigger implications of that? But yeah. Right. Like, like so many, so frequently, right? Like it's like if somebody gets called out for like something like real and they're like, ugh, trolls. Like, right. <laughs> no, nope, that's not, that's actually, <laughs> that's actually not trolls. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. That's like uh, one of trolls. my earliest memories of like, you know, little kids will just say like, whatever, like they'll just say whatever pops into their mind. But I remember my mom having a discussion with me saying, do you know what the word tact is? And like mm. what you just said was tactless because it hurt that person's feelings, even though it was like what you thought or whatever, it hurt that person's feelings needlessly. There was no need for them to know that that was what was in your mind. And I was like, mm. oh, got it. <laughs> Life lesson learned. Tact. I think that America needs a lesson in tact. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Should that should we name our um, newsletter tact? <laughs> I'm not kidding. We haven't. We have a. We I think we have our name for our newsletter, but we yeah. just we're just going to use the old old one that we were rolling with. Yeah. Well, but, we already had the website. Yeah. <laughs> That's how lazy we are. I don't know if that's lazy or no, if it's, it's like, not. It was a lot of work. Well, yes, Emily Beebe did did it, but yes, yeah, yeah. Um. Well, anyway, guys, let us know what you think. Yeah, We'd be I'm also feeling like I know you're doing that fireside chat, or did you do it? I did it. It was fun. was it fun? Did you yeah, like it? It was super fun. Um, the host Darren has like this amazing voice. He's like a radio guy. And then yeah. he brought up this friend of his, uh, because like the whole construct of like is that it's like a live interactive podcast on this app Fireside that's like mm-hmm. co-founded by this Cuban, really, Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban and this really smart woman, Fallon Fatimi, who worked at Google. Um, and so the construct of this particular podcast is like there's like sounds like it's in a lobby bar and like he pretends like he's taking the seat next to you in the lobby bar and you just like get to know each other um and then other people join the conversation but he brought up 
this woman who's actually a friend of his who dated Prince and the song Little Red Corvette is reportedly about her. So Did you know that that was going to happen? No, you didn't. Well, I didn't know it was going to happen, but then he was like, this is my friend Mei Ling. And then I had to give up the whole pretense. I was like, I know who Mei Ling is. Yeah, yeah. That's really funny. I've been on the message boards. You're like, there's nothing that I don't know about (laughs) Prince. Wait, but here's, okay, here's my other question then. Let's take it to the people. Take it back to the people. Like, why don't we, why don't you and I do Twitch stream? Why don't we do Busy Tonight, like, basically on Twitch? If you want to, I will figure out how to do it. Because I just Uh, Speaking of which, you got it, you did get a Spotify going. So that's cool. Yeah, I did. I made that Spotify list. It was much easier than predicted. There are other Busy Phillips Spotify lists that people have been making all along. I knew that. I knew that. I knew about some of them. Yeah, but there's an official one now. Just a little fun thing. And people have been really uh, enjoying the song. So I like that. And we'll add more to it. But that's just like a little fun thing. Um, Yeah, I will do anything you want to do. Because I think the thing is, you just have to like try things. Okay, I agree. And like we are, guys, still trying to figure out the pot. No, the book cast. What? The book book club. Shit, the book club. I hope you guys have read the book, are reading the book. No one is talking about this by Patricia Lockwood. Well, I think we're going to try to do it in the next couple of weeks, maybe before I go to therapy week boot camp okay. or whatever the fuck. Um, wait, look at what's on my um, free will astrology today. Yeah, tell me. The On the landing page. It's um, a quote from Napoleon Hill, who was like a self-help guy from like, I feel like the 30s or something or okay. 50s. I don't know. But this is the quote for this week. What's trying to be born within you? Before success comes in anyone's life, they are sure to meet with much temporary defeat and perhaps some failure. When defeat overtakes a person, the easiest and most logical thing to do is quit. That is exactly what the majority of people do. More than 500 of the most successful people in this this country has ever known told me, Napoleon Hill, that their greatest (laughs) success came just one step beyond the point at which defeat had overtaken them. I mean, we've heard it time and time again, right? People saying, like, I was just about to pack up and move home. I was just about to give in, you know? And the truth is, like, we came to a point with this podcast where we were like, what are we doing? Are we going to keep doing this? Or, like, you know, are we going to do it with, like, some type of partner Are we going to do, and then we were like, let's just do it ourselves and like try to have fun with it. And we started doing it ourselves for the fun of it. And it was very low stress and very fun. And we started doing the things that smart people recommended to us to like make it easier and more fun and make it more successful. And our audience has increased quite a bit since the beginning of the year. So, you know, like a significant percentage. So it's working. There's more insight for us on this page. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to keep going. There's an Anne Lamott, there's an Anne Lamott quote. If you guys don't know Anne Lamott, come on, get, get into it. Come on. 
Come on. What are we doing if you don't know who Iman is? <laughs> okay, here's a great one. When a lot of things start going wrong all at once, it is... Wait, let me see. A lot of things are going wrong. Hold on. Let me start over. When a lot of things start going wrong all at once, it is... I can't do it. It is to protect. It is to protect. Okay, ready. I'm going to do it one more time, guys. Anne Lamont writes... When a lot of things start going wrong all at once, it is to protect something big and lovely that is trying to get itself born. And that this something needs for you to be distracted so that it can be born as perfectly as possible. Oh, interesting. So that's okay, cool. Anne. All right. I don't Anne. know. That feels a little bit like a Glennon Doyle quote to me, but. Interesting. Okay. Don't you feel? Yeah. Like a little bit? Well, but listen, Anne Lamont, I mean. Yeah. Anne and Glennon are like kindred spirits, maybe. Mm-hmm. Is there more? How to, yeah. How to get what you want. <laughs> this is from Rob Bresney himself. Uh, if I ever produce a self-help manual called The Reverse Psychology of Getting Everything You Want, it will discuss the following paradoxes. A, people are more willing to accommodate your longings if you're not greedy or grasping. I believe that to be true, yes. 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 B, a good way to achieve your desires is to cultivate the feeling that you have already achieved them. Wow, that's, that's intense. Yeah. Okay. C, whatever you're longing for has been changed by your pursuit of it. It's different from what it was when you first felt the pangs of desire. To make it yours then, you'll have to modify your ideas about it. That's also pretty deep. Yeah. And D, be careful what you wish for, because if your wish does materialize, it will require you to change in ways that you did not foresee. That's definitely true. Shoot. I feel like 75% of that was very valuable to me. I do too. I'm glad you read it. Here's bottom line. Here's the way that I really do feel. And I've had this conversation with so many friends of ours is that, you know, we all know the platitudes, compare and despair and rejection is God's protection. Casey Rose Wilson, I think, uh, reminded us of that one when she was on the show. Mm -hmm. Here's what I really think is that, You can't pursue anything with the end goal of fame and fortune as like that, that can't be your vision for the future of it because that is beyond your control. So whatever it is that you're doing, it has to just be that you love it and that you would do it for free, that you would happily do it for free as long as people wanted you to and as long as you could. And then if you're able to like, make a living from it, that's amazing. But, you know, there have been times what I've wanted to do in my life is pretty fucking singular. And I think I'm pretty fucking good at it. No lie. Like I've gotten to do it for, for icons, you know, and I've also gotten to do it for brand new babies who have never performed before. I've gotten to like take their careers and help get them on their way. And I'm really proud of that. I would do it for free. I love it that much. There have been times when I've been frustrated that somebody wouldn't let me do it for free because that's all I want to do, you know, and like real talk, like 
there are practicalities of life. I have a family. I have kids that I need to support, you know? So that's kind of like what we're talking about. Well, well, like making choices and like, this isn't the thing that I would choose to be doing right now, but I have to like deal with those practicalities. Is it a beautiful thing when the thing that you would do for free provides a living to you or starts to pay off in any way? Yes. Is it, but it's like, it has to be like the bonus. It can't be the goal. But I do think that the one thing that, you know, who was that first guy, that guy from the, that guy from that talked to over Napoleon Hill, Napoleon Hill. I think he's right. I think a lot of people quit before they even get started. And I don't, no shade to those people. I think that's, you're telling yourself like, this isn't the thing for me. And like, even, you know, I think sometimes people are like, you're just afraid to be successful or, you know, or you're afraid to fail or whatever. I don't think it's that always. I think sometimes people quit things when they're like, I wouldn't want to do this even if I did become successful at it, you know, so this isn't right for me. And it's okay to have a stopping point. But Fear does enter into like a lot of the decisions that we make. And, and that's the thing that I am trying to be careful about now is like not putting too much pressure to like have something be a success on something that I just enjoy doing, like for well, the doing of it. That's yes. Success. And that was right. And that was like my point when I texted you from the plane, I was feeling like, I don't know. I was just feeling like, I really like, here are the things I really like. Like, I really like making stuff with you. I really like the community of people from our podcast and my Instagram and stuff and people who are fans of Busy Tonight and all of those things still exist, right? Like they all right. still exist. But but what happened was that like, I mean, truly, like I, I feel, well, I mean, the pandemic was, it was all a thing. There was, yeah. there was a lot that happened. Yeah. But one thing that happened was I was like a little bit ego driven in terms of like wanting it to be like a big thing that I got a lot of recognition for doing a new way of doing a fucking thing. Right. Guys, I'm talking about like the old idea before yeah. the pandemic <laughs> in the before times. Yeah. But and like with a with an announcement at South by Southwest and like all that shit. Right. And what I realized like on the plane is like I actually just don't care about all that shit anymore. Like it's not important. What is important? What is important? What is important is the same thing that I was saying before, but I really feel it. which is just putting good stuff out so that people feel less alone or they look at things in a different way or they figure out how to move forward that day, you know? Yeah. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) It is important. And that's and, yeah. And it just it just isn't probably something that like, you know, Coca-Cola fucking cares about or whatever. Or that some like some 
a bunch of guys are going to come along in a year and buy it for a billion dollars. And I wouldn't no. want that. I mean, no, <laughs> no, we're not. Right. I'm not like, I just have, oh, I have long struggled and like, what do you do with all of the things, you know, where yeah. do you put it? And like, I don't know. You and I are both good at so many fucking things, Casey. <laughs> you are like truly one of the most talented and brilliant people I've ever met. And it is a fucking bummer to me that that doesn't equal stacks of gold coins or something. (laughs) (laughs) Because we live in this world where stacks of gold coins are like the ruler. But even beyond that, like, I wish that it was recognized more in, I mean, I, I do, but at the same time, I realize that it doesn't even, it doesn't matter if it's like 10 billion people. Right. You like impact people on a, you know, a very deeply personal level. And that translates to those people's lives and like whatever I don't know that's just all I've been thinking about that so anyway here's the thing if it was 10 billion people I don't know that anyone would be hearing what we were saying at all you know I think like sometimes the bigger and and more popular and more prestigious that something is it's just something that people are you know just kind of like engaging with on a surface level and that's fine because people need that too but I just feel like for me like it really is worth it so many people write to our email and say like shoot, I went and got a biopsy because Busy got a biopsy. And so many people are like, you know, you talk every week about pivots and it's because of that that I felt the courage to like take a pivot from this career that wasn't working for me. And, you know, now I'm doing this new thing. And like, in terms of like, we might have big news about a good friend of ours who's doing that soon. We don't yeah, even know. We don't know. So, and you know, I don't know if our podcast is responsible for that, but, <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is like when, you know, when I'm looking at myself, I'm like, am I exactly where I want to be at this second? Maybe not. But when I'm looking at like the percentages of everyone that I consider to be in like our, our little community, our little gang, like, the percentages of success and happiness are are growing and they're like, we're doing good overall, you know, and, and so many of you are doing well. And when things are hard, you're like working through, you know, what's difficult in your life and you're like letting us be there for that. And that is super meaningful. And like, you know, if I could get it to a place where it was my job, my full-time job, would I stop doing other dumb shit that I had to do when I was 27? Yes. You know, but like right now, both. Would I stop selling things on Instagram? (laughs) Probably not. Probably Probably not. not. Probably not. (laughs) That's like, guys, let me, let me just be real about that. That's like a finite thing. You know what I mean? I'm like well aware. That is like legit like a get it while the getting's good yes. type vibe. Like that yes. shit's not long for this world. So I'm gonna take yeah. it while they're offering because yeah. 
I mean, I'm not going to. Because we can't learn like about flat tummy tea or some shit. Is flat tummy tea even still happening? I don't even, I haven't seen an ad for that in a long time. But like, no, when, I'm just, I wouldn't, no, I'm saying like, I'm not trying, I'm not out here trying to like sell fucking meth. Snake to, oil. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, everything's snake oil. Let's be real. Do you know what I mean? Everything has the promise of a better life. Yeah. You're not trying to sell diarrhea tea to people. No, because by the way, I don't need, I don't need tea to give me diarrhea. You just naturally have it. Yes. I have stress and IBS and it doesn't ever make my stomach flat. It Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's (laughs) IBS. It only, it like literally, my stomach is never flat when I have IBS. It's always like bloated and like looks like I'm five months pregnant. Yeah, we Super don't fun. need any, we're, we're not selling any um, intestinal turmoil to people. But yeah, that's you doing what you got to do to live. And also I think like because of what we've been doing for our entire careers, we have that like mindset of like, I better do this now because you just never know. You know, even oh, I when mean, things for are sure. great. Even when things are great. I have to say, I do have to get on my fucking savings vibes. I got to figure money out. I got to like figure it out. Yeah, you do. You do have, you have to figure money out. Maybe that's something that we can talk to our friends about too, about like how everybody's handling financial independence and, and like handling that kind of business. Cause that's a thing that I always feel weird about. Yeah. I mean, I think women historically speaking feel weird about that, but like, it's something we should be. Yeah. Definitely more aware of because here's the deal. If you want to make a fucking pivot, you have to have financial freedom to do so. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Woo, that's a whole other can of worms. Guys, we don't, we're not going to open that today. Here's what we are going to do. We're going to listen to our interview with a woman who, oh gosh, it was so incredible to talk with her. And she uh, was someone I loved, loved watching when I was a kid. And um, she was just really delightful. And I am going to give you a, a trigger warning that we there is a suicide discussion in this interview. So if you if that is something that is difficult for you to hear, maybe this is your trigger warning. This is the I'm preparing you or skip skip it or I don't know. But I think she says a lot of really valuable things. And I really enjoyed getting a chance to meet her. I'm kind of obsessed with the actress, Julia Duffy. During this episode, I really thought Casey had cracked a viz. I heard that. And I was like, oh, must be busy time. It's busy time. It's always busy time. <laughs> you know why? It's delicious. Because Vizzy Hard Seltzer is our favorite hard seltzer, but it also is not just a hard seltzer that's delicious. It is the first hard seltzer crafted with the antioxidant vitamin C, and it's extracted from the acerola cherry, which is a super fruit that has 30 times more vitamin C per cup than an orange. Listen, guys, did you know what the acerola cherry was? I didn't, but now I do. And I am never going to forget it. 30 times more vitamin C than an orange. Incredible. There are lots of hard seltzers out there. They're very hip. I know that people love their hard seltzers. Yes. But Vizzy is the only choice you should make. It's got eight bold 
and delicious dual fruit flavors. Plus, the aforementioned antioxidant vitamin C, 5% ABV, 100 calories, and less than one gram of real cane sugar per can. Vizzy makes the choice so easy and delicious. Okay, pineapple mango, black cherry lime. That's, I love that one. Yeah. Strawberry kiwi, blueberry pomegranate, papaya passion fruit, watermelon strawberry, also a fave. Blackberry lemon, also a fave. Raspberry tangerine, also a fave. Um, and in April, Vizzy launched its own lemonade hard seltzer in four delicious flavors, watermelon, peach, raspberry, and strawberry. I was just going to say, we know that a lot of you out there have been tagging us in your posts with Vizzy, so we know you're enjoying it too. We're so happy that you've gotten to try it. But also, maybe just go to the go to our link. Yes. Because upgrade your hard seltzer to Vizzy, and even if you have, even if you bought it at a store, just go to the link that I'm going to tell you right now so that we can get a little bit of credit for it. <laughs> to find out where you can purchase Vizzy, go to VizzyHardSeltzer.com slash Busy, B-U-S-Y. That's Vizzy, V-I-Z-Z-Y, HardSeltzer.com slash B-U-S-Y. Obviously, guys, you got to be 21 to drink. Are you ready? Yes. For this. This is actually the first time I've actually I've tried to like officially start. <laughs> Can we put this part in where I'm like where I yes. ruin it immediately? I immediately ruin it by, by saying, saying that you're trying to do it the way you're supposed to. I can't I can't. I just can't. Julia Duffy, hi. Hi. Do you know what a okay, I I'm just gonna Okay. I've been having a lot of things going on in my life, Julia. A lot of things happening. And I didn't know we were talking to you today because things in my life were happening. And then I saw it this morning and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to cry. Because Julia, when I was a kid, I would watch Newhart with my parents and I was like, I can be that on TV. I can be her. I know I can be her. I know I can do that. That's who I'm going to be on television. You and said, I'm going to take her place when she ages out. Parents, <laughs> yes. Right? I immediately, I already knew how Hollywood worked. Yes. No, but I like, I just, Next. you were, you were such um, like a comedic inspiration to me uh, as a kid. I loved when you were on Designing Women for a bit. Like I was, I always would follow you and get super excited when I would see you oh. and um, pop up in anything. Cause I always just like, I don't know. I felt like you were, I, you really were like one of the first times I saw a character on television that I was like, that's who I should be. It was like you. And then do you remember um, Ab Fab? Yeah, oh, the British. Yeah, of course. And I was like, oh, I'm bubbles. Like I can be bubbles. <laughs> I feel like oh your character gosh. from Newhart was like the Bubbles character from Abfab. Do you know what I'm saying? I thought, oh, I hope they do an American version. I want to play that role. Totally. <laughs> totally. I could play that if they did an American version. And uh, I don't know if they did, but if they did, nobody called me. So I don't think they did. I don't think they did. Yeah. Well, here's the truth, Julia Duffy. You're a comedic icon. Working long, alongside 
Bob Newhart. I mean, like Bob Newhart is, he's like America's comedic gem icon of all time. And like, there you are next to him. And I feel like you really paved the way for our Angela Kinsey's on the office. And you know, I mean, just listen and spoiler alert. You're also really 10 times more funny in real life. I feel like, which is wild to me. Well, I think I need writers, but that's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> you are funny all of the time. I have to say you're very active on Twitter. You're one of my favorite people on Twitter because you just talk to and are hilarious and lovely with everyone. I see you on my timeline all the time and it always just makes me extremely happy because you are legitimately so funny in real life that it's it I mean, I got to be honest, I was shocked. Uh- <laughs> That's all very sweet. But don't you think that Twitter just kind of gets under your skin and makes you like funnier and quicker? Like if you're in a room full of funny people who are quick, um, you get inspired. Yeah. Because my Twitter feed is fantastic. I've beautifully curated it apparently or accidentally. And um, it's they're like my friends now. It's a little sad. I don't know them, but <laughs> is it? Is it sad? My, I don't think it's sad. I don't know. It's like when you had uh, an invisible friend when you were little, and except um, I have a lot of them, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I I want to meet them in real life, but I don't know. Would the magic then be gone? I don't. Maybe sometimes I don't know. You guys tell me because Casey, you and Julia have been Twitter Twitter friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, so are we ruining it? Is, for the, each is other the magic right gone? No, I'm more excited to be seeing her than ever. <laughs> I mean, here's what here's what I think. I think that it's, I think that in so many ways. I mean, we at its worst, it's literally the worst <laughs> thing ever. Yes, but at its best, you do get to connect with people in your own industry, people in other industries, people who've been fans of yours, people who you are fans of, and. I don't know. I just think those kinds of connections are always a good thing. Well, know? especially with the way things have been when we're just all on screens for the last 18 months. Yes. It yeah. was to me a godsend because I saw people being very kind to each other. And yeah. that meant a lot to me considering what else was going on. I needed that to get through the day to see the generosity, especially within our business. And also for me at my age, which is entirely different than your ages, that we didn't have email and stuff. And so you do a job with someone and you're so tight and it's so intense. And then what do you do? Send each other Christmas cards? I mean, before email, you didn't keep in touch. You tried to keep in touch with the cast that you were so close to, but it didn't work like it works now. And this has brought me back in touch with a lot of people I've worked with in the past, which has been really gratifying. And, and oh, I love that. Yeah. Cause it's also, it's also, I, I agree with you. It was, it's always been my joke with people on sets where I'm like, always have a moment where I'm like, this is going to be so crazy when I don't even know who you're dating in the future, you know, like I, like yeah. where we won't even be talking, but I know every intimate detail about you in this moment because we're working together. I but I, I do think like Instagram and Twitter has made it so much easier to really feel like you're still in people's lives, you know, not just guys, not just famous people. (laughs) Well, no, but we're so 
good at it, actors, because, you know, there's, they're lighting and you've just met each other and you all have so much in common because you're <laughs> actors sitting, waiting for them to light. And we do it so quickly. We yeah. bond so quickly. Yeah, And it's true. I think that's why I'm seeing so much of it from people in the business, so generous, and writers who say, I will read your script if you have a script by Sunday. If you're a person of color, I'm a showrunner, I'll read your script. I mean, things like that where they're bypassing the gatekeepers yeah. is, I think, just fabulous. If people are always trashing Twitter and I'm like, block the people that are terrible. There's so many wonderful people. I try to tell people they're missing out when they're not on Twitter. I agree with you. I love that. I agree too. I think it's really smart. And I think what you're saying is really so true that if you just seek out people that are doing good things, what also Twitter did for me is like kind of demystify because like growing up a girl in the, in the nineties, trying to be like a comedy writer, you just, I heard a lot about how precious it was and how precious the talent was. And Twitter is what taught me that sometimes a truck driver is just as funny as the highly paid comedy writer that told you, you know, to keep trying one time. You know what I mean? Right. So it's, it's been really de- demystifying to me just about how multi-talented and interesting so many people are. It's kind of wild. And then also, like, I have become really good friends with a lot of people from Twitter, like they are my real life friends. And it's a good way to introduce people that you're like, oh, this person will like this person. Like, you know, I know. Yeah. Yeah. One time Lin-Manuel Miranda was like, oh, I think you'll like my friend from high school. Uh, You guys should be friends. Hi, say hi to each other. And I was like, oh, wow, that's very cool. (laughs) And, you know, Jordan Peele and his wife, they met on Twitter and I barely knew what Twitter was, and I did an episode of Key and Peele, and, and Keegan said to me, did you know that Jordan met his girlfriend on Twitter? And I said, what? How can you, how can you do that? And, and Jordan said, well, you know, we had the same interests, kind of knew some of the same people, and yeah. then we met, and I thought it was the weirdest, most sci-fi thing I'd ever heard. <laughs> and now it seems perfectly logical to me. Yeah. Perfectly logical. Well, we just had Meredith Salinger on our show. We were talking with her and she and Patton, I believe, met on Facebook. Met on Facebook. Yeah. Through yeah, friends. Facebook. Yeah. Through friends, yeah. but still like same can't, same kind of thing. Well, Julia, let's talk about you. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Newhart is a, was a huge starring role. You were fairly young. Had you always, acting was always your passion. You wanted to become an actor. You moved to New York to go to drama school. Yeah. Yeah. I always wanted to be an actress. There was, there were no other choices. And uh, I mean, I would sit like this far from the TV and I would watch these little girls on shampoo commercials. (laughs) And I would think I could do that if I could just get it to go under, like if just (laughs) under a little bit, I could do that. And I was obsessed with it. And, you know, I memorized a milk commercial when I was, oh, you did. Oh, so yeah. You no. Know. Yeah, yeah. I memorized yeah. a milk commercial. I still know it to this day, but yeah, I, I get it. I get it. And then yeah, I saw got you and I was like, well, there I'm going <laughs> to, that's what I'm going to be on a sitcom someday. You right. guys both had similar childhood dreams. Busy's we, wishing for very strong bones. Julia's wishing for hair that flipped under. Yeah. Wait, but Julia also, by the way, my birthday's June 25th and you're June 27th. Uh, yes, I am. And do you know, so I'll tell you who else was born on my birthday. Oh, I always win this when people ask. 
Helen Keller and Captain Kangaroo. Oh, oh my wow. <laughs> yeah. So whatever you think about astrology, just just think about that. <laughs> also, wait, also, I think Mike White is also the oh, 27th. That's really? That's very cool. Okay. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So you've been acting since you were a little girl, though. Well, in community theater and that sort of thing, I desperately wanted to take dance lessons because oh, I had friends who were taking dance lessons, uh, but we couldn't afford it. We had like no money. My mother raised us by herself. My father left when I was a baby. I'm the youngest of four girls. And um, I kept bugging her. And then finally I found some brochure for dance lessons that were a twenty-five a lesson. And she one day said, okay, you can take dance lessons. I was so excited. And I was just obsessed with what color leotard would I get. And then I went over to my friend's house and uh, her mother said, uh, her, her daughter was named Kathy. And she said, I'm going to send Kathy downtown to take drama lessons at the McPhail Center for the Performing Arts in Minneapolis. But I don't want her to go alone. Do you want to take drama lessons? And I said, do I? <laughs> and so, I, I mean, like a giant light bulb went off over my head. And I ran back to my house, which was like five feet away. These are row houses. And I told my mom, and she said, well, you have to choose. We can't afford both. And it was actually a little cheaper to take the drama lessons. So I took the drama lessons. My neighbor, Kathy, dropped out quickly. And the rest is history. I would take <laughs> the bus downtown all by myself at... 10? Oh my God. Yeah, once a week. 10 years old, yeah, taking the bus days. right? In Minneapolis, Minnesota. Correct. That's right. And I knew how to walk to the place and I walked very carefully there. And one day I would walk by the local KTLA or something. No, that's here. K no, it was W's there, WCCO TV or something. And I would walk by their TV station <laughs> on my way to drama class. And I kept thinking, wow, that's a TV station. And so I worked up my courage one day and I walked in and I walked up to the desk to the receptionist and I said, do you need any actors? Because I'm an actor. Oh my God. And she, bless her, kept a straight face and she said, uh, and I think I had some sort of a picture of myself. It certainly wasn't an eight by 10. I wouldn't have even known that existed. And she said, I will ask, I will tell them that you asked, give me your number and your picture. And I did. And I never heard from them. Oh my God. <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't know that the things I saw on TV weren't being filmed there. Right. right. Of course. Why would you know that that's just like the local news station and um, slash affiliate, like yeah, where the I satellites when I was are, that age, yeah. I thought that the Muppet show was like a real behind the scenes, you know? Yeah, right. we we all had those. I think we all thought the same thing when we were little kids. Not I me. I was real savvy. <laughs> well, you were, and it's paid off. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. So yeah, so you were doing local productions, local theater, mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. even as a child, and then you started like kind of doing soap operas when you. I actually worked professionally before I left. I worked at the Old Log Theater, which. I guess it's still there. It's a stock, year-round stock theater, not just summer stock. And it was kind of a dinner theater, but that was in a different room. 
And uh, I, I worked there and I did a couple of plays there. One of them had a very interesting actor in it named Nick Nolte. Oh my oh, gosh. Wow. Yes. <gasps> and uh, never, ever, ever would I have guessed in a million years that he would become a movie star. I mean, it's wild. Yeah. And so then I went to New York and went to school. Then I started working. And my first job was a soap opera. And my second job, I guess. Um, Soap operas are the hardest job, aren't they? Yeah. You never feel like you were any good because, (laughs) I mean, how good can you be when you only have so much time and you barely have time to memorize it? And I was so young and you can get into bad habits also, I think, because I I so admired the people who did it well. Oh, I just admired them. But it made me a nervous wreck because I felt like if I had more time, I always felt like that. If I had more time uh, and I needed to learn to be bolder quicker. And I eventually did learn that. But it is a frustrating experience in that way. But it was great to be exposed to those actors who were such veterans. How old were you when you were on the soap? When you were on the uh, soap? I was probably 21, my first job. Wow. Yeah. But that was unusual. They wouldn't have that many ingenues, but it's playing a teenager. And uh, it was, soaps were really about women in their 40s. And still housewives were, they, they didn't have all these young, sexy storylines then. It was right it was really made for the housewives at home. And so somebody in their forties would be having an exciting romance in the story. That was much more typical. Right. Right. And you're just like the teenager who comes in and out. Well, I was a troubled teenager. I had sure brain brain tumor and I killed my stepfather and stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) Can I ask a question? I'm assuming that you knew that you were funny at that point. Was it hard to be a troubled teenager with a brain tumor murdering her stepfather when you were funny underneath all that? Well, I was a very typical ingenue and I played very typical ingenue roles all the time. And somehow I was always seeing what was funny about it because I was just playing it so much. And also it was easier when I got to LA to compete in the world of comedy than it was in the world of drama because there was always some girl who could cry more tears than me or had higher cheekbones or, you know, it was, it, it, to be an ingenue is to be an ideal of a certain sort. Right. It, it, maybe not so much now because things are more creative, I think now. Creative. I don't know. <laughs> well, I know, I know what you're saying. Yeah. It, it dies hard, that whole ideal of yeah. young women. Young women, the idea of young women dies hard. (laughs) You are right. There is an ideal and I got weary of playing it or trying to play it because there was always somebody to me. It seemed to me that could do that better. Yeah, I was I was the same. Like I felt like I thought I was going to be a real dramatic actor when I moved to Los Angeles. I started auditioning. I saw my trajectory as like Mm -hmm. dramatic stuff. And first of all, it's just like there wasn't that much. And the stuff I was always, she's not, she's like a little too weird to be. I was never the ingenue. I was like a little too, I was like off, always a little off Mm -hmm. for that. And then the comedy stuff started to make sense to me 
And then that was like, that was it. You know, both of you, what you're describing is sort of exactly Joan Rivers' story as well. She she started doing comedy to support her dream of acting, and she wanted to be a serious actress. Oh. And then everyone was like, girl, you are funny. Like, what are you doing? That's interesting. And it's true that what I found quickly is that it didn't matter if somebody else was prettier or a better type. Because it was all about who made them laugh. Right. Right. And all of the other stuff became secondary. And that was the only time it became secondary was when it was a comedic role. Then I could compete. I felt like I could compete. Yeah, I actually I actually felt the exact same way. Do you actually not have makeup on right now? No. Oh my God. Your skin is amazing. It's thank you. You guys. That's not fair. I am 42 <laughs> years old, Julia. And you're, you're a baby. Feeling every inch of it. But, <laughs> you know, I also do sometimes feel like I'm a baby. I do feel like that too. I feel like I'm both a baby and an you're old a ge- woman. a geriatric baby. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, so the new heart audition comes along. I have to ask you. So were you, obviously, you knew what it was. This is a big deal. It must have been a huge audition, right? Uh, Oh, yes. And um, my husband loves to tell this story. He'll never let me forget it. I had done an episode of Cheers where I played somebody who, uh, I was stalking Ted Danson. I was, uh, I wanted to. I wanted to have sex with him because of some reason, some psychological reason. <laughs> <laughs> and then I read the, the guest role for the new heart script. And it was so similar because this girl decides that she's going to have an affair with the guy next door. And she's the cousin of the girl who lives at the inn um, because I don't know why, why did she want to do it? It had to do with like getting back at her parents or something. I said, Oh my God, it's the same plot. This is how stupid I was. I said, is that really bad for you if you're seen like twice in the same season doing something similar? Maybe I shouldn't go. (laughs) Oh, my God. And I was somebody who worshipped, hero worshipped Bob Newhart. I was dying to work with him. And my husband said, you know, like, take another look at it. Uh, So I took another look at it and I thought, well, the characters really are different. And nobody will care if the story is the same, I hope. No one ever mentioned it again. Why I'm mentioning it now and telling a bad story of myself, I don't know. But (laughs) it was a big deal because it was Bob. And because the scene was with Bob and I had to talk to him about how I had a crush on someone and make him very uncomfortable, I knew just what was needed for Bob Newhart to react. I was like, I was quite the Bob Newhart student. Um, That's amazing. And so it was one audition or what it wasn't was it always going to be a regular or like I oh no it was just just a guest star it was just a guest star I actually was doing another series but then it got canceled and then they asked me to be a regular on Newhart so okay so you're so you get the guest star and then you do the episode and what like what I don't know I just I feel like how did you How did it, then it was just, it was like on, they decided to make you a regular or how did it work? Uh, Well, it uh, was very fun episode. The the scenes with Bob really worked well. I just adored working with him. And uh, that was that. And it was, I don't know how 
when it was, it was maybe just a matter of weeks before, I can't remember, but it came time for, you know, hearing about the renewals for the next year. And I had done a mid-season replacement show called Wizards and Warriors, which I loved. Uh, and it got canceled. And so within like an hour, I found out that it was canceled and I was crushed, but they'd like you to be a regular on Newhart. So it was... Wow. I know. And so you enter, so you, it's this, it was the second, from the second season till the end of the show, you're, uh, you're yes, right. right. Seven I mean, seasons, right? Yes. So I was on seven of the eight. That's incredible. From. That's incredible. And also just for a Hollywood break, for people at home to just understand that for someone to come in in a guest role and be so good and crush it so hard that they decide to make that person a series regular because like to have someone consider their creative vision because that's someone's baby and to be like this person adds so much to it in a way that I didn't envision that now I can't picture going forward without that person. That is a huge testament to your talent. Do you know who else that happened to? Never thought of it. Who? (laughs) Me. (laughs) It's true. I did um, my very, like one of my very first jobs when I was 19 was a TV show called Freaks and Geeks. And my character. Of course, of course, of course. Yeah. And my character, Kim Kelly, was just a guest star for the pilot. And when the show, when the series got picked up, they called and asked if I would be a series regular. See, that's why you should never not go up for something that's a guest role, especially early in a series, uh, because they're still like working things out. Right. They don't know what it is yet. Yeah. And then they looked at the cast and they realized that they had 10 men series regulars and one girl. (laughs) And I think they were like, oh, let's just add that other girl, too. So, but anyway, no, I was thrilled to like be added to the cast. And I agree with you. And I think it just goes to the old adage. There are no small parts. I know. Never turn down an audition. It's just, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You just have to go for it, especially when they are still working on the show because anything could happen and does happen. It takes a while for a show to find its groove. It really does. Now, okay, so can you tell us a little bit about what it was like working on the set of Newhart? The set of Newhart was everything you think it would be and more. It was nothing but laughing all day long. We would actually be a little nervous on Friday night when the audience came in because we sort of wondered if we'd ever um, gotten through a scene. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it was, it was, a, you know, there's a method to the madness, but it was a great deal of screwing around. And I would come home and tell my husband not to say anything funny because my stomach hurts so much from laughing. I couldn't oh laugh anymore. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I have a really specific question about Bob Newhart, which is that we know him as his comedic persona is dry, dry, dry. Does he laugh? When he's not performing, is oh, he? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. He laughs. He's a laugher? <laughs> yes, he's definitely a laugher. Um, we would all lose it sometimes. <laughs> I mean, he's pretty disciplined, but yeah, he. there were times we just couldn't go on. We were all laughing so hard. And in person, you would find him, uh, you would find him a little wilder. His, his sense of humor, you would find uh, a little bit 
edgier than what he does for audiences. In fact, with the three of them together, Tom and Peter and Bob, oh my God, uh, there were there were a lot of R-rated jokes. <laughs> a, a lot. Oh my God, there I was, love that. I love there were it. No li- there were no limits. Comedy was king. The joke was king. The, the joke was always king. The joke, if it was there, you had to make the joke, no matter how dark or how anything. We all put the joke first. Nothing else mattered. To the point where, you know, you'd say this person should say this line. It works better if he has this punchline and I do this because we didn't care about anything except the joke. I that was that. That was clear. I mean, that that show had such a high ratio of jokes per minute. I feel like just that's why it's a classic. Well, Bob cared a lot about the audience and he wanted to hear them laugh all the time. Uh, he would... He would come in and talk about how the laugh sounded then, you know, the next day after it aired. And he would have a lot to say about that. If they were up to snuff yeah. for him. His ear for the audience and how the laughs were recorded and how they sounded was something I never noticed. But it was very important to him. That was his whole life was listening to the audience reaction. And he had the timing of, you know, Jack Benny. He had the courage to stand there and wait for the laugh. Uh, I mean, he's just remarkable. By the way, he's just as sharp now as he was then, and he turns 92 next month. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. That's I know amazing. You, I know you stay in touch with him. Mm-hmm. That makes me really happy me to too. hear. Yeah, he. Um, we did a Zoom, and I, I just couldn't believe it. He was so quick. He was <laughs> as quick as ever. And when he, like, when he emails me, he always finds some snarky way to tease me. Always. Just some turn of phrase to (laughs) keep me on my toes. He loves to tease. Well, you must have idolized him from the original. When I, my first job in show business, I worked for David Letterman. And one of the ways that he would tease me is he would always uh, ask me to tell him about the New Heart show. And I would talk about the in show and not the show before the Bob Newhart show. Oh. And then he would be like, this is how young this lady is, ladies and gentlemen. She has never seen the other Bob Newhart show. And I was like, well, I mean, you know, right. that's people- uh, just because I'm young. <laughs> but but then people call our show the Bob Newhart show. And I have to say, well, no, ours was Newhart. It's kind of a losing <laughs> battle. <laughs> well, guys, I am 42 and I didn't know that they were two different shows until like, I don't even know, 10 years ago or something like that. You know, it's interesting because people the age of my daughter are, it is amazing how many of them are huge fans of Newhart. And I realized that it must have been in syndication when they were growing up. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Or they lived in towns where it was syndicated, uh, which was like barely here in LA. So I wasn't very aware of, and I suddenly realized that this whole generation, like my daughter knows all these comedians that are around her age. Uh, they're so aware of Newhart, it surprised me. There's like this gap in between of the show actually being in the air, on the air, and now. Right. And then not to spoil anything for anyone who's planning to go back and watch either show, but there's the final joke of Newhart that suggests that they take place in the same universe, that it's a a continuous change from one life to the other. Which was all a dream. Which I think is maybe the best series finale possibly in history. I think it probably is, although uh, there have been others that I have loved, but I'm a little partial to that one. 
I think a lot about uh, how I met your mother. I loved how that ended. That, to me, that was a great ending because it had never occurred to me that it all connected, that it had all been written ahead. That, and as somebody coming from the sitcom world, it blew my mind to suddenly have this realization that it was all planned and that it was all connected. Uh, Carter Bays, I hope you're listening. I hope you're hearing Julia Duffy say the ending of your show yeah. was, was a good one. That, okay. that one got to me. Julia, <laughs> we talk a lot about pivots in yes, I know. life and career and things that, you know, make us um, have to reevaluate the plans that we thought we were making. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about pivots since I was catching up on your show. And I was thinking about, first of all, I was thinking about life pivots, of which I've had a major one. And I started to think about how much this is part of people's lives. And I thought about my mother who really had to pivot when her husband, my father left when I was a baby and left her to raise four children by herself. She had no car, there were debts and she wound up being a successful businesswoman, and also never complained about her lot in life. It's amazing. And I realized that that did so much for me because I internalized this fact that you can move on. You, that moving on is incredibly important. And then, I, so I was going through this whole thing in my head because of this show. And then I thought about um, my great grandmother who came from Ireland at 16 during the potato famine. And I thought, well, there's a pivot. <laughs> and maybe there's something in the DNA. Uh, and then I thought about, okay, where did, when did I have to pivot in my career? And I thought that just seems so petty. <laughs> When I think about these life things, my life things and my mother's life things. Um, so I just wanted to just really bring us down there and say that that was my uh, <laughs> train of thought. But as far as my career, the biggest pivot of all is just being older. And it's like you're starting over. You're in a different category. You're a different type. You're doing different things. Um, you're reading for the type of characters you never did before. And it's like, it's really like starting over. And I will compete with actresses. I never knew who they were until they were like 50 or <laughs> older because they fit this time so well, this type so, so well. And they cast by type so much in my age range because uh, and I don't want to sound ungrateful. I'm just, I'm just saying it as a reality. I'm not saying it as that I'm pissed. I'm just saying it as a reality. Most things are written by people who are in their 30s and 40s. Right. And even 20s. And large percentage of them are male. Yes. And when that. they write a middle-aged woman or a grandmother, they don't know them from the inside. They can't even guess. They've never thought about it. And so they are, they are writing types for middle-aged women over and over again, most of which would have worked perfectly well in 1955. Yeah, I agree. The way they're written. I actually, I wrote this pilot and now I'm like obsessed with the idea of you being the mom because <laughs> I, I felt like, I, I just felt like I, totally I agree with mom. you. Like, but, and it's complicated. It's fucking complicated. It's complicated to be a person and it doesn't get less complicated just because you go through menopause. 
you're like, you can be one of two things. You can be the like angry old lady in um, Steel Magnolias, Weeza, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Weeza, yeah. Or you can be like, just like sweet. I, I mean, right? Like it just feels very reductive. It feels, but that feels like, don't don't you feel though that that feels like women's parts in Hollywood almost always? You were so fucking lucky. Oh, I'm so lucky. Yeah, of course. And I know that. Right. To be on Newhart and to have a character who, by the way, in the hands of other less talented, quite frankly, people, writers, less talented writers could have just been very, and, and what you brought to it also informed what they did. That's how the best collaboration works yes. in television. Um, but could have just been a one-note character, female character on television. And that was the thing that, like, I always loved so much watching you on New Heart was that it had so much, like, you had so much, there was so much dynamic to the character. I felt like it wasn't just, whatever, the ditzy blonde coming in. Well, what I, I always wanted to have a reason other than, just having a bad disposition. You yeah. know, if, yeah. if she was being snobby, right. I wanted there to be a reason. It had to, I, I mean, I started as a dramatic actress. It had to come from something real. So when I did have oh, fights or discussions with the writers, it was always, always, always about that. But what bothers me now about the way older women are being written is that, and being written as types, is that they couldn't be richer if you would stop and think about women of that age who have raised children, who have been through what they've been through. And the thing that just drives me crazy, and I've mentioned it to several writers politely, if you're writing something current day and the woman is my age, or I'm playing somebody who's, let's say, 60, and she's a baby boomer, and you name her Myrna, then you are telling me that you don't have a fucking clue as to what you're writing. She grew, she probably was at Woodstock and you're giving, they were Peggy and Kathy and Sue. These were the names. It just tells me they're not paying attention. And it bothers me a lot, as you can tell, because they're not giving it the thought that it deserves. What you just said, I just want to repeat it. Yeah, there's probably a lot of, 60-year-old women named Summer who had a wild time at Woodstock. And, you know, well, I hear it. I hear people love to, I have friends who are like, if you watch the Woodstock film, you can see my mom in that, in that movie. (laughs) And then I'm like, wow, it takes a great deal of care when you're writing a script that you really think about who every individual character is as a person. And, Yes, and why they are like they are. And uh, I think anyone that casts you in anything is extremely lucky that they've employed someone who's who's thinking of it that way because that's why you're good at what you do. Thank you. But honestly, when they do write it as such a strong type, I look at it and I think, well, I wouldn't cast me either because right. it they they're making it this type in order to work. And there are much, much stronger types in my age range than I am. I'm not a strong type as these types go. And so that's the frustration, I guess, is that 
uh, I've never, I, for a long time, I was lucky and I looked like the type of roles that I got uh, because I was an ingenue. I looked like an ingenue. I played an ingenue oh, for so long. And now I don't at all. So have I successfully pivoted? Well, I don't have any control over this. So I can't really say very much about my ability to pivot. Part of it was um, theater, doing theater, because, oh, my God, the roles are so good. And the good thing is, when a role is good, it's good in a way I never got to do before. It's all new to me, and it's great. Um, for instance, the, my biggest successful pivot part of this was, and I'm trying to think how many years ago it was, but I think I was still in my like late 50s. So hard to remember exactly how long ago it was. But they were doing um, Little Foxes at the Pasadena Playhouse. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to read for Birdie. And I thought, well, they'll never, ever see me. But I just knew somehow I had a feeling for that role. And somebody kept on them, and they finally agreed to see me. And during this time, between my finding out they were doing it and getting the audition, it was like two months. And I worked on it. Every day. There were times my husband would leave the house so I could be alone. And I worked on my accent and I worked on everything just in case I got the audition. And when I did, I got like 20 hours notice, but I was ready. And it was one of the times that that kind of a commitment paid off and I got the part and it meant the world to me to play this Southern abused, drunken woman. For some reason, I felt like it was my role. And so there is a pivot that worked. Yeah. And it was your role. It was, uh, obviously, it was it was yours. You asked if you had successfully pivoted. I think yes. I think it sounds like yes. I mean, you pivoted uh, as a baby, obviously, with your, your dad kind of leaving you guys behind. Not that you had any control of that either. And your mom yeah. became a successful realtor, correct? Like Busy's mom. It, it, she became uh, actually the head of the closing department, the closing department instead of escrow companies there. Mm -hmm. A company that was run by a woman that was the size of my living room to begin with and um, turned out to be the largest real estate company, individually owned real estate company in a five-state area, I think. Oh my God, that's amazing. During those years, she became the head in the head, at the head office of the closing department. And she was a big deal. She used to give speeches and all of that from being a stay-at-home mom who suddenly one day was alone with no money. Oh that's incredible. That's amazing. I know. It, it's a tough act to follow, I'll tell you. But... <laughs> Did that, do you feel like that drove you to be successful? Like you were like, I have no choice. I have to succeed because of what Mary Duffy went through for me. I had a very strong work ethic right? because of it, because yeah. there was just no doubt in our household what kind of a work ethic you had. Everybody worked. Everybody worked from the time they could get a job and somehow sharing one car, my three sisters and I got ourselves to work and these various jobs that we did. And I was very single-minded, like a lot of actors, like you know, when I was very little. So I, there was like no alternative for me but to do that. And I think I did in some ways that I don't maybe have words for, internalize the idea of um, 
that you could do it if you if you didn't get discouraged. You could just do it. But also, I will say, the business was much easier to break into then than it is now. You think? Oh yes, much much easier. Why? And because there weren't there wasn't the internet. Only people who were obsessive like me went to New York or L.A. You couldn't you couldn't even find out how to do it. There was no guidance. I mean, you can't right. imagine what it was like before the internet. It was a, a weird pipe dream to say that you, I mean, how would you even do it? Nobody knew. Nobody had the answer to that. You couldn't look it right. up. Well, I moved to LA. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. Right. But I mean, I couldn't have afforded any of that, but I was able to because what we did have was um, the GI Bill from my father. So even though he was completely out of the picture, we had that so that we could go to school. And I, so I did go to school. I chose my school when I was about 11, the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And that's where I went. I just oh God, decided. That's amazing. You were laser focused. You were. I was. Yeah. That's how I was. And I have no idea if it's in my DNA or if it was because of my mother. But to me, I was always surrounded by strong women. My mother was one of three sisters and my grandmother was always around. So, uh, I went to girls schools. I, and I will say about girls, uh, Catholic girls school. Um, I don't have a lot to say about the nuns as teachers, <laughs> but it's very interesting that your leaders and your role models are all female. When you go to a girls school, Yeah, that's who they, that's who you see as role models. And I had a very impressive group of young women in my graduating class that I'm still in touch with. And I think that did a lot for me, quite frankly. Oh, that's amazing. I think people always tend towards saying like, oh, when you're, if you go to an all girls school, you're not distracted by boys. But I think it's actually that there's air in the room for girls to speak up and to take space. Mm -hmm. And that's what the difference yes. is. Yeah. I never really found boys that distracting. I found them annoying, um, oppressive, oppressive. <laughs> I actually, I feel like it's oppressive. Yes, I agree. Well, we spent a lot of time trying to find the boys. <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't really great for our social skills, but, uh, you know, you make up for lost time eventually. <laughs> but we would just drive around looking for their cars. That's good. That's pr and strategy. Then we, yeah. we would pretend that we'd been somewhere. And now <laughs> we were going into Mr. Q's, which is where we hung out to have some French fries and a Coke before going home as if we just happened to run into them. That's what we did. Because <laughs> nobody ever actually like, got a date. I mean, nothing like that ever happened. So, But I actually also appreciate um, having like maybe it hampered your social skills because that's probably part of what makes you so funny as well, because we all know <laughs> that people with the worst social skills are the most funny. Um. Well, yeah, that could be. That's right. <laughs> I never thought about that. Intentionally or unintentionally funny. Well, I also think the funniest people are usually very unintentionally funny, but, you know. That's yes, that's Usually true. when the funniest person is being the most funny and people are laughing, you will hear them saying, I'm not joking. I'm being completely serious. Yeah, uh, there are people like that that just make you laugh. Yes, yes. Just because they're talking. Yeah. Yes. 
Oh my gosh. So you were recently, you recently did a guest role on Black Monday with a bunch of our friends, Casey Wilson and mm-hmm. Andrew Rannells and also our friend Yasser Lester's on that show, but I don't think you had a scene with him. Paul Shear. Um, how was that? Was that fun? It was so much fun. And I had not seen the show and I didn't even know it existed and how I missed it. I don't know. It's so weird. Like because there's 4,000 TV shows. <laughs> That's right. It's because that. And yeah. so you don't have showtime for a while right. because you don't want to pay for everything all the time. Right. And <laughs> the show comes and goes that, but I caught up completely, not before I did it because there was no time, but I've now watched all of it. And oh my God, I, I, I've never seen a show like it, like ever. Yeah. It's really unusual and really funny. It really is. It's so funny. And yet there's these heart tugging moments and yet the wildest, craziest comedy. And what I appreciate is that, and not just because it's set in the 80s, but, oh, how do I say this? A lot of comedy now from the the vantage point of my age of being a boomer is sounds the same to me. It's like the same cadence. I see the exact same jokes yeah. on different comedy shows because there's a way of talking now that's cool and it's informing the jokes. And it's going to sound weird uh, in the next decade or something, I think, because it's too much with today's speak. And it bothers me. Yeah. And then this show has people who all, all the characters consider themselves very funny, very smart, and very verbal. Yeah. And they're all just pathetic at it, but they keep trying. (laughs) And so it has a whole different rhythm and sound to the jokes that of any sh- show I've seen recently. And, oh my God, it, Don Cheadle, no, I don't think any actor has made me laugh and cry more than he has. He's so amazing. Andrew, oh, of course, then to find out he's this s- spectacular human being. Now we're text buddies. I might, <laughs> I might see him in New York. We became buddies. Wait, um, you know, he uh, not only plays my husband, soon to be ex-husband on Girls 5 Eva, but we're also neighbors in New York. I did know that Andrew was on that show. He's, I have to catch up on everything you've done and Andrew done. You're all just so often employed. He's the best. It's a lot to keep up with. And his book was fabulous. I adore him. I know, me too. Well, listen, when you come to New York, I want to have lunch with you and Andrew. I'm, I'm going to make that happen. Okay, Andrew, I, Andrew and I are supposed to get together, so I, I'll make this all happen. I'll we're going to just you. do it all. Yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Julia, you said when we asked you to be on the show, you said that you were nervous and I think you did a great job. You know, I was nervous because I didn't know if I was going to go into a life pivot or a career pivot. And um, it's so hard to say this. And I don't know if we have time. We always have time for you. We literally always have time. Um. It, it just it got me thinking a lot because um, as a lot of people, but not everybody knows that we lost our son uh, two and a half years ago oh, God. to suicide. And yeah. he was all his life a victim of a mood disorder. Um, but he had long, he had some really incredible periods of being very productive and successful. And I am always torn about, of course, I talk to people, but of course, it's not a secret. Of course, you can Google it and that sort of thing. But 
Um, I've never really had a platform on which to discuss it. And it kind of kept me awake. But on the other hand, you, you want to honor the person. Yes. And not talking about them isn't honoring them. So it's that being torn between being private and and doing some good by saying it. And it was a pivot just to have him and have him be diagnosed at age six with a mood disorder and have school be this incredible challenge. It was a pivot to a different kind of parenting. Losing him was a different kind of parenting. It's also a pivot, but I'm still his mom. Yeah. And I'll do everything for him forever because he left a lot behind. He had a very successful animated show called Crack Duck, which gets a lot of um, millions of views on YouTube and has been on TV in Canada. And, uh, you know, I just really want to brag about him rather than talk about my pivot. Um, the Cartoon Network started a Adult Swim channel in Canada and they asked the production company in Toronto for which he made this show for more episodes to program their new channel. And they listed 50 series that they wanted to have more episodes of. And number one on the list was Crack Duck. And then I wish he had known that. I found that out just weeks after. Um, but he had a long period in adulthood of being very productive. In fact, uh, Ben Blacker presided over a pilot competition thing at um, a South by Southwest TV festival that Danny, I think, tied for first place in. And I mean, he had people coming after him, Disney and um, who did the Minions, whatever that company is. But a lot of people like that coming to him, coming to him at Comic-Con. Um, he was in Fred Willard's sketch group, Moho's, for a year. He's a great sketch writer. And nobody ever made me laugh harder than him. And um, it is quite a pivot. It was quite a pivot when I had a child that needed all this this brilliant child who needed all of this constant care. Um, but great social skills, lots of friends, uh, so much success that I admire having to overcome moods that just attack you. Um, and unfortunately, it comes back. You know, you think you can go off medication, yeah. you everything can be fine even for years, and it'll come back. And what I really want the world to know is there's no ether up here. It's all biology. It's physical. You cannot judge behavior that comes from a chemical imbalance. And it would help all of these people if our society could wrap their heads around that. 
And that's my mission. Well, Julia, I'm very moved and very grateful as a parent um, that you were open about sharing that with us because it's something that I know uh, without getting too much into the details, but I know I have had to learn a great deal about um, in my parenting journey. And I'm just grateful. It's very generous of you to mention this here and to talk about it because I know there's probably a lot of parents listening that either know this journey already or that it's going to make them realize you know, a light bulb is going to go off in, in their head about some things. So I know that's probably the most difficult thing to talk about, but you, you honored him beautifully. Uh, he, he sounds like he is, was a really special person. And, uh, so thank you for sharing about him because I'm happy to get to know him a little bit through you. Well, watch crack duck. You see the (laughs) result of his incredibly bizarre brain. Uh, but it got to a lot of people. Uh, he, he really had a lot of fans because he was addressing their issues very creatively and very, very humorously. But one thing I do want to say in my little spiel about all this is one of the things that bothers me the most is when people say, well, we can't, we don't ever want him to go on medication. I'm not going to go that route. It's not a one-way street. Yeah. You could try it. Yeah. You could just try it for a while and see. Yeah. You have to acknowledge that it has saved lives. I think that I'm I'm with you 100%. There's a, you know, listen, there's like a thing that has sort of been pervasive in the last decade or two that has led us literally to this place of like anti-vaxxers. Yes. You know what I mean? But it's all weirdly to me, I feel like it's all weirdly a part of the a very of a similar of a puzzle. It's all part of a puzzle of of a way of thinking and and like a dogma of belief about science like that you might know better than people who've studied this and are experts in the field. And um, Julie, do you know about Child Mind Institute? I have heard of that, yes. So we had the doctor who started Child Mind Institute, Dr. Harold Koplowitz. We had him on the podcast because I am a huge fan of the work that Child Mind does. Basically, his whole idea, he was like the youngest person to be named the, like ch- child psych- head of child psychology at Columbia yeah, years and years ago. So he started Child Mind Institute because he was like, I, I saw what um, they were doing with St. Jude's and cancer, pediatric cancer. And I want to do that for mental health for children around, like I want that, that yeah. is like his mission. And, you know, I think that it's a thing that parents are afraid of, they're terrified of. But the fact is, like, if you, and I'm speaking from personal experience too, this is something that's really affected my parenting. But if you have a kid that has, if you had a kid that like was born with a broken wrist (laughs) and they were like, your kid's wrist is never going to heal. It's going to be broken. But the good news is if we give them this 
pill every day, it'll still be broken in there. But this pill will fix that every single day. What parent wouldn't be like, yeah, of course, I'm going to obviously let's give the kid the pill so that they can have this the wrist that works. And that's to me, like what it is with mental health, especially in kids, as soon as you notice some of these behavioral differences, there's no shame in going to, first of all, the teachers at school, the, you know, a lot of schools employ therapists now, but a lot of public schools can't afford it. But also then places like Child Mind, which are offering, you know, free services. And it's like, it doesn't, I, I don't know. I think that what you, you talking about, Daniel, is so beautiful just because part of what keeps people from even getting help for themselves or for their kids is the, the, a shame that doesn't need to exist. And people also have to realize that a child has nothing internal internally to draw on when they don't have that in order to control themselves. They don't, they don't have it until they're much older. Right. And their brain will not develop with the ability if you don't give the brain a chance by calming down those brain chemicals. It is physical. It's not um, some starry space in our heads. It's a physical thing that should be treated one way or another. There are, of course, there are strategies, but you've got to give them a chance. And it can't be what your philosophy of life is that directs what you do for the kid. Just as if the kid was in the hospital with leukemia, you would do what it took to get the blood right again. Mm -hmm. Right. You have to think of it that way. You have to be clinical about it. It helps to do that. But, oh, we are still on the wrong track here. One thing that I talked to Dr. Koplowitz about when we had him on the podcast was that I was saying, for me as a parent, I was seeing things that I was so afraid to say. I was seeing things that I was afraid to say oh. out loud because I thought that it would make them more true. You know, know what I mean? Yes. And and so the one thing that I, I'll just repeat it, even though we said it on that other podcast for any parent that's feeling like I was feeling, me, me noticing something and verbalizing it to anyone doesn't make it any more or less true once that's it's right. said out loud. If it's true, it's true. That's right. And you, you have to do something about it. Mm -hmm. You can't just make it not there by not saying anything because you're afraid to say it out loud. What's the worst thing? You say the thing and you're wrong and that's not the case. At, you know, you go see a doctor and they tell you actually what you thought isn't, that's not it. So don't worry about it or whatever. But if you, you have instincts and if they're ringing bells to you, it's okay to say, hey, I think I see something going on. Let's go talk to someone that will know. It can't hurt to talk to someone. And you can't think of it as a parenting problem. But our society is very, has a very egocentric notion of parenting. Yeah. That we're, that we're what it's all about. We make mm. or break the person and how they turn out. And mm. it's just not true. 
there's still just a lot of biology they come into the world with. And you have to respect that and you have to deal with it. But it is so difficult to think that it's not parenting, especially when the child, when the symptoms are misbehavior. Right. And people just don't believe, they can't wrap their heads around the fact that it isn't the parenting or that they're the ones that need to say, hey, buddy, look at me. Every time somebody did that, I wanted to scream. It was the worst approach at all. Right. Of all. And then, of course, when somebody did have the right approach, oh, just my husband and I would, you know, want to buy them a house or something. We're just like, (laughs) oh, my God, just stay in our lives. They were so rare. It takes a certain kind of sophisticated thinking, maybe, to to grasp this because the other is so much easier to grasp. Yeah. Well, we are just, we're just sending you so much love. Thank you. It's hard to find the right words to say, but it's really incredibly generous of you to take this moment just to remember your son and share with other parents that might see that they're on a similar path. Because that's one thing I learned too, is that parents don't have a lot of places to turn to. You know, I got, I got a lot of calls from parents saying, I know this is not your job, but I know, you know, a little something about it. Can you help me even know where to start? And uh, so it's just, it's really generous of you to, to share that with us. And we're sending you so much love and so much love to your son because he sounds like a heck of a guy. And the other thing I want to say is, I used to want to say, you think it's me? Have you noticed my daughter is beautifully behaved? I mean, think about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not all the parent. Get over yourselves. So that's a thing that I think is a very important message. I think people will free themselves if they let go of the notion that it's all parenting, mm-hmm. that we are we have the power to fix it all or uh, control it. You have to look at things scientifically. Well, we know our our country isn't being very scientific about things now. <laughs> no, I know, and that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like I do feel like there's it's a lot of it all feeds on one another. Um, But I think having just very open and honest conversations from personal experiences is the way to go. Mm -hmm. I actually think even like with the vaccine thing, guys, I feel like just the like ad council way of talking about the vaccine is like, I don't know, just give me a personal story. Yeah, I was walking into Target and at the front entrance, you know, there's the guy in making sure everybody's putting their masks, the guy that works at Target, making sure everybody's putting their masks on and we're getting our cart and wiping it down. And this guy walks in and he's like, and says to the man standing at the front who works at Target, this employee. So I'm going to take, so I'm going to take my mask off as soon as I walk away. You can't call the sheriff's department. Is that correct? <sighs> And the man was like, there's a mask mandate. COVID is still a thing. Like, we are asking you to wear a mask, please. And he's like, well, I'm taking it off and there's nothing you can do. And like, walked away. And I was so enraged. And 
I said to the man, I was like, I'm so sorry you had to deal with that. That's just really horrible. And then he kind of just like looked at me and he's like, I lost my cousin in February from COVID. We were very, very close. I just don't, I don't even know what to say anymore. And I was like, I'm so sorry you went through that. And I'm so sorry that that guy just was such a jerk to you for no reason. But it's like that kind of lack of care. I know. Like if that, I don't know who that guy was, but like if he had known the guy at the front of Target had lost his like very close family member, in Fe- would he have been acted the same way? Do you think? I don't know. It's awfully hard for people to give that up. Uh there's so many who, I mean, I don't, was reading something about a guy who came out of the hospital and the ICU and said he still wouldn't get vaccinated. He'd go through it again. People just can't admit they're wrong. It's so is weird. Is that what it is? That they can't admit that they are wrong? Yeah. It's all about ego, apparently. Mm-hmm. It's like this mass narcissism uh, that yeah. is sweeping over the country. And it's not in their best interests. I don't understand that kind of thinking because I'm not, I don't think I'm very easily influenced. <laughs> I just, I really don't understand it. I don't know how to understand it. And if I'd been born earlier, I'd be gone now and I would never have known how evil people could be. <laughs> but now I have to know it and I can't unknow it. I know. It's a desperate kind of narcissism that they have to be right. But what would they do? What if this was like World War II again? Would they help a war effort? Would they all no. come to get there? I, I no, know. they would not. My mother, I'm glad my mother didn't see this because she fondly remembers the country coming together for the war effort. And this would just have ripped her heart out. What I will say is that I think that comedy has always been important. I think it's really important right now. I think it's giving people something that they need to fuel them to keep going and you are such an important person in comedy and I'm so happy that you're here and that you're still working and that you know everybody can go check you out on Black Monday you were hilarious and if you're so young that you never saw Newhart where is it where is Newhart on right now uh, I don't know. It's some people tell me it's on something and I should probably pay attention <laughs> to what they say that they, I'm so jealous for anyone that has never seen Newhart it, that you get to go and start it up. It looks like Hulu. Hmm. Hulu. Well, that's well, the Bob Newhart show. Wait, hold on, hold on. Oh gosh. Doesn't bother Bob that people get the shows mixed up because he's in both. <laughs> <laughs> The rest of us would like you all to keep it straight. <laughs> Maybe isn't available <gasps> right now. And like, we need to make, that's, we need to get that into. That's just wrong. It is wrong. I mean, you can, I know you can buy the DVD set because we did interviews for that and stuff. So I, oh, I know that's available to buy. <laughs> I know, but we need to get, why, but we need to get it streaming. Yeah. I think we just, um, we just hit upon our new campaign, a new movement that needs to be started. I mean, every streaming service has only a finite number of whatever machines they have in the big room where they, <laughs> I don't know what, how Is that it how is, that works? That's how that works? Thanks, Julia. I didn't know that was the... I think they that. have a finite ability to 
stream things. Just a guy um, running yeah, around yeah. pressing play. Okay, so you can probably yeah. find it on DVD somewhere. But also you can buy the DVDs, yeah. Yeah. Also, we're gonna pick it to make a streaming service pick it up so that everybody can see it right now. Okay. 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 Julia, thank you so much for giving us so much of your time and your heart and also making us all laugh forever and also um, making me realize that I could be on television. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm happy to have done it. I had no idea that I had done that for you. You you took it and you ran with it. You did very well. And I can't wait to catch up on uh, Girls 5 Eva. You're both delightful. Casey, you are delightful on Twitter. Oh. Have I not seen Busy on Twitter? Well, I, she's on there sometimes. I, she, she pops on, but Julia's on Instagram too. So okay, I'm following you immediately. Okay. All right, okay. Then I'll try to think of something to post. <laughs> um, Julia Duffy, you are so wonderful. Thank so, you. You are both. You really. You do something. I've listened to a couple of them, and you really do something good with with the podcast world. Thank you. That's that means really a lot. Sweet. That means a lot yeah. to us. We're trying. <laughs> <laughs> Never not trying. Never not trying. <laughs> Julia Duffy, so much love to you and thank your husband for letting us keep you for so long. Yes. And yeah. uh and we'll see you online. Did he ever walk by? <laughs> <laughs> I told him if he does to walk quickly. But I wanted this this view of the house because this is not a fancy house, but this is its best view. So I'm very vain about it. It looks I like it. It looks, it looks lovely cute. and fancy. I love it. I really am glad I did this. And I'm glad that um, that you guys do what you do. Oh, I love her. Yeah, she's a really, really special person. I also like just really deeply feel her call for better roles for women of her age. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, Yeah. Majorly. It's just one of those things that I, we have to figure it out. We have to figure it out. Mark and Abby actually have, did I tell you this? I did. Well, first of all, if Julia Duffy gets cast in that movie, I just want, I'm taking full credit for it because (laughs) I fully, uh, texted Mark while we were doing that interview. And I was like, holy shit for your movie. They have a movie about like seniors. Oh. And uh, the main, there are many seniors, but the main character is a woman. And, uh, and there are, there are a bunch of really good parts and they're, you know, looks they're, they're figuring out that movie. Um, I hope it, I hope it gets made. It's like a really fun movie. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Julie Duffy's so great. I feel like that's something that we need to figure out. Maybe like the WGA, which Hollywood Break is the Writers Guild of America. Maybe there needs to be like some pilot program where you bring on like a consultant of age when you're trying to write something to just make sure that you're not, um, you know, beefing it. In your script, when you're talking about older women. Ugh, because honestly, the older men are in the room. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. We've had whole shows about it. About what it's <laughs> like to be an old guy. 
<laughs> it's hard to be an old guy. We've had shows and movies about it. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe it's just something, you know, maybe like how you bring on like a medical consultant when it's a medical show or you bring on, you know, I was on ER. I know a, a legal consultant when you are doing a legal show, maybe you bring on like a, like a mature woman consultant when you're trying to write a, a role for a mature woman, just to double check it. But also that would require them like actually writing roles for mature women. That is true. So. That is true. And then, you know what, it would just result in, they'd be like, oh, that costs too much money. Let's just cut it all together. There is no longer a mature woman character in this script. Yeah, we don't need her. She's fine. She's fine. She was always expendable. We actually, yeah, she was always expendable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we just rolled her into to the young man. <laughs> Oh my god. Serves the same purpose. Like the char- <laughs> our character, our main our main character, he gets the same thing out of the relationship. <laughs> so, that's fine. Um let's do a couple business things before we let people go. It, this has been like a very far-ranging conversation, but um even though we're not real Facebookers, we started a Facebook group, a Billy Billy. <laughs> no. <laughs> a busy Phillips is doing her best Facebook group. Cause that's the easiest place I think for people to have like a back and forth conversation. Not that we're not telling you to join Facebook, but if you're on Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, you kind of already are on Facebook anyway. So if that's, I got to figure that shit out. I don't even know what I y- got. Yeah. So, um, if that's something that you're using and you feel okay about it, which is totally Okay. Um, there's a group that you can join. Um, Wait, what Casey is trying to say is she doesn't judge you for being on Facebook. Is yes. That what you're- <laughs> yes. Yes. Because some people are really harsh about it and it's like, well, okay. I mean, listen, let's pick our battles and uh, yeah, some people are on Facebook. So there's a Facebook group. There's the Spotify playlist, busy Facebook. Why can't I say your name today? What's I don't happening? know. You're turning into me. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, there's a Spotify playlist. Busy Phillips is doing her best where we started to put down songs that we've mentioned on the podcast. If you think of some that we've mentioned on the podcast that you don't see there, let me know and I'll add it when I can. Um, also, our friend Janice Meeting from Rutherford Falls, who was on the show last week, we made a special Chuckle Fuckers sweatshirt that she helped us design. Stop it. Yes, that is um, benefiting a cause that is important to her. So if you order a Chuckle Fuckers sweatshirt on Brave Gowns, um, you will see that information that all of the proceeds are going to the Indigenous Environmental Network. Um, what else? What else? What else? There's lots of fun, like limited run merch uh on there. And we also did advice on the Instagram this past week. Like people are still sending in advice letters. We didn't get to get to a really good one on the show. So we put it on Instagram. You all gave that person some excellent advice and gave her lots to think about. And I think people kind of enjoyed it. It's like A-I-T-A, except real, and just (laughs) us. Yes. Real. 
We don't think A-I-T-I-A is real, right? I think, well, talk about calling people trolls, but I think it's mostly just people making up the wildest scenario they can think of and trolling everyone with it. Like Playboy letters. It gets people so worked up and really, really smart people, like really people with huge platforms that are just like the greatest minds of our generation are like flipping out over am I the asshole on, on Twitter? And I'm like, do you really think that's real? Very smart person. I sometimes do. (laughs) I'm sure sometimes it is real, but sometimes I think it's also just people being like, what's the wildest scenario I could come up with and get people all wound up. But don't you think Casey that sometimes life is just the wildest scenario that you could come up with? For sure. For sure. I do think that, but I also know the internet, I think, pretty well. And I think that people like to spin a yarn on there sometimes. Yeah, I agree. Now I'm giving myself a pedicure with my <laughs> olive and June stuff. <laughs> Listen, Olive and June has kept you very sane throughout this, this episode of the podcast. <sighs> it's true. It's true. What am I going to do when it's over? Today? Yeah. Um, maybe have a nice lunch. It's 3.13 here. I should eat lunch. All I should right. definitely do that. Then that's what you should um, do. All right. Well, <sighs> guys, reach out to our email, busydoingherbest at gmail.com. And let us know what you think about this newsletter idea. Well, I guess my question about the newsletter is, would you rather getting a text or would you rather an email? That's a good question. I'm asking you guys. That's it, really. Oh, and my um, termites weren't termites. Just, you told, wait, what were they? They were, they're either scorpion flies or, Ew. Uh, or parasitoid wasps. Oh my God, guess what? What? I got fly bags here in New York. <gasps> So exciting. I just, it just got hung today. I was going to go check it out. And I got um, the Thermosel mosquito repeller. So fuck you, bugs. We told you we were coming for you. Yeah. Well, you didn't listen. So go fuck yourselves. Um, there was a fly inside my house yesterday that had its own zip code. It was like a fly that was, I'm not even, a, I'm not even an exaggeration. It was the size of a raisin. Was, no, it was like the size of like, I'm trying to wait, hold on, like a giant blueberry. No, 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 a grape, a small-ish grape. You don't think of that as being big, but when it's a flying around, it is significant. Even a raisin-sized fly is no, too no, wait. much. This guy, was, this guy was so big, he was too heavy, he couldn't fly high. Yeah, that's not great. He was low flying. When they're bonking into windows. He was bonking into everything. What the fuck's wrong with that guy? Where does he belong? On a horse. Not in my house. <laughs> That's for sure. Fuck you, dude. I hated him. We got bags. I, he had to go. Anyway, uh, I love you guys. And um, thanks for hanging out with us. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. <sighs> we'll, we'll talk see, to you soon. We'll see you in the funny papers. We love you. Bye.
Oh no. 